banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world. But in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks. And the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. Good morning. Welcome to Market Ultra on this January 18th, 2024. We have less we have less than 10 months until the elections. We can hopefully return ourselves to a more peaceful world. At least that's our hope. In the meantime, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, look on our local news, uh, Pete and Deb, they're gonna they're gonna do it. They're headed off to tie the knot. Uh, we wish them well. Uh, Pete will be back next week. In the meantime, I'm filling in. With that, we'll jump right into the headlines. Um, we have, they never seem to disappoint. Uh, we're, we're constantly getting barraged with headlines. Uh, every single day we get nonstop um, attacks on the world. So with that in mind, we have uh, a couple big things we need to talk about today. We had US strikes on, we had US strikes on Yemen again, as the Houthi shipping attacks continue. Um, China's stocks fast losing ground to Japan's roaring market. Stocks take a breather as focus shifts to earnings markets wrap. Big earnings week. Uh, we have uh, Rishi Sunak bruised, survives a key vote as UK immigration policy stance. And then we have Blinken's return from Davos. It was delayed after the plane broke down. So hopefully that's a sign of things to, to come in, uh, with this year with the World Economic Forum. We've seen uh, the World Economic Forum heating up this week. Uh, we're going to do a couple series on that starting tomorrow and Monday. Most of the speakers, most of the big talking heads will have been there earlier this week. They'll uh, be wrapping up on Friday. We have a ton of stuff to pull from. Uh, Rebel News has been doing a great job on the street, covering that's covering the uh, catching them out in the street, tracking them down, running them down. Their big claim to this year's World Economic Forum is restoring trust, but they won't talk in the streets. They won't open up with the people. So we have a big problem. Um, they still they, they want to try to sell it to us, but we're not we're not swallowing. With that in mind, you know, we'll, 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 so there's the inside and the outside of World Economic Forum. Thank goodness for people like Noor bin Laden, the niece of Osama bin Laden. She's been out on the street doing great work. A couple others have been doing great work like Rebel News. So that's the outside. That's the stuff that we're getting that, that will be, we'll, we'll cover some of that. We also have the inside, which is all the, the uh, polished, uh, planned, structured commentary uh, with Klaus Schwab and all of his buddies get up there. They talk, they uh, push agendas. The agenda's already set, but now it's time to push it out. Um, it's, it's all behind closed doors. So when you go there, um, one of the things we're going to point out is how they take over the ski shop. So, so Davos is a ski town. And what they do is they take over the ski shops and they, you know, BlackRock has a big, you know, uh, 
their name up there and you know they've got it set up so they can come in with their armored cars with their top brass and and then we have you know palantir we have the whole group right we have everybody sets up shop uh, meta has a place there so we'll go into that we'll look at the outside on the street what's being covered and then we'll watch we'll take a look at what they're saying on the inside that's something to look forward to on friday and monday we'll probably roll that into tuesday a little bit and then pete should be back on wednesday um and with that in mind uh we let's take another let me take a little bit deeper dive here um so one more thing with the news we had uh Pakistan's army. So we've got an issue here with, with Iran and Pakistan and, um, and some of these, what we'll call the hotspots around the world. Pakistan's army strikes back at Iran as both sides urge the calm. So they say they want it to create calm, but th that's not in their cards. You know, the mil military carried out another strike, targeted strike against military hideouts in Iran on Thursday. So this was overnight, <clears throat> responding to an attack by Tehran a day earlier. In a rare escalation of tensions that both sides signal they don't want to see get worse but that's you know it doesn't seem like you know they, they talk that they want to create calm but then the attacks continue um so with that what we want to do is <clears throat> we want to we're going to do a series on the different choke points around the world <clears throat> those choke points can we mentioned this a little bit yesterday we've got these choke points the strait of hormuz the gulf of suez the red sea Strait of Taiwan, Strait of Bosphorus, basically the Aegean Sea to the Black Sea, Strait of Malacca around Singapore, and then we have the Panama Canal. There are some more, um, but those are the primary maritime shipping choke points. And the another one that I think doesn't show up as much is around Poland. Okay, so we know over the over last summer, the Strait of Hormuz was a the Strait. I'm sorry. The Nord Stream pipeline, Nord Stream Two, was hit was basically taken out. Okay, so this was a deal made with Angela Merkel and Russia <clears throat> to pipe natural gas directly into Germany. The this was a lifeline for Germany, and fortunately, natural gas prices have been coming down. Right, and we'll take a look at natural gas prices in the markets here in a minute. They've been coming down, so this hasn't had such a huge impact on Europe. All right, right next to Germany between, and we'll take a look at this. Let me flip over here. We'll take a look at the, the map. So we have Russia, and then we have the dividing line, which is Poland, Belarus, and Ukraine. They divide Europe from Russia, basically. And then we have, obviously, some of the waterways. You can see with that black line there, <clears throat> we have, um, that was that's the Nord Stream, and then we show a little explosion where the Nord Stream was attacked right there between Poland and Germany. So this is another choke point in the sense that this provides the energy to. This was intended to provide the energy to Europe. Problem is, it was taken out, and the U.S. under Donald Trump made a deal with Poland, um, probably in around 2017, 2018, I do believe, where they were going to ship in liquefied natural gas. So we had this intention of, you know, bringing in natural gas. These All these natural gas stations that we located on the coasts became useless. So we decided to turn them around and use it to ship out liquefied natural gas. So what they do is they take natural gas out of the ground. They can cool it, liquefy it, compress it, put it in a, t in a tanker and ship it. 
And that was the goal that we were, that was the goal with Poland, right? Was to ship this into Poland to keep them separate, to keep them isolated from this risk of lack of energy coming into Europe. And it was, and you can see that it was at that dividing line, right? So with that in mind, that's what we're going to jump into today is the hotspots, right? This is another hotspot. And this is, so we'll, we'll take a look at some economic data. We'll take a look at some charts. Then we're going to come back to this. So we're going to do a deep dive on Poland. We'll watch a couple clips on the history of it, how, how this, how we've gotten to where we are with Donald Tusk, the prime minister, Duda, the president, some of the other players, um, Ursula von der Leyen, who's entering the picture. And we'll, so we're going to come back to that, right? We're, this is, to me, this is the primary choke point. Why is that? Because we're seeing provocations there, right? They're provoking, there's, there's, they're provoking a war is basically what they're doing. So we see multiple things building and this becomes a primary choke point. So this will be the first stop in our, in our series around the different choke points, the different risky areas from a naval standpoint around the world. With that, I'm gonna jump over to the economic data. So this week we, we saw, um, obviously we talked about the World, world Economic Forum kicking off on Monday and we saw some data come in in Germany, um, very weak, uh, WPI numbers. So those are basically inflationary numbers at the consumer level and at the retail level, that's Germany is it, it essentially on the verge of recession. And so is China, right? So these are two big, uh, components of the global economy. Germany's weak, China's weak, Europe's weak. So collectively we have a lot of weakness. That's what's pushing a lot of money into the United States. So we're, we'll take a look at the markets and see from the stock markets, how this is, how these capital flows are coming in. So if we jump to Tuesday, we had empire state manufacturing index that came in a little, quite a bit weaker than expected. It was, a uh, other than the COVID lockdowns, right? We had a lower low, um, in empire state manufacturing than even the 2008 real estate crisis. So this was a, this is pretty significant, right? The data has been very spotty the last six or seven points in the series. So um, this is a, this is one to watch, right? The Empire State Manufacturing, because it's starting to paint a picture for us, right? Along with a lot of other data points. Um, we'll keep an eye on that one. China's, Chinese industrial production. That one came in a little bit weaker than expected as well. As we said, China's been weak. Then on Wednesday, we saw UK CPI, um, I'm gonna, let me pull that up and take a look. Uh, I wanna make sure I get that one right. We had, let's see here on Wednesday, Tuesday. Yeah, Wednesday, okay, good. So British CPI came in, so their consumer price index, right? So this is a measure of the prices that the consumer is paying. Is it increasing, is it decreasing, right? has an impact on an economy. People have to spend more money. Obviously it, it starts to reduce their amount of consumption. Therefore <clears throat> the economy will start to retract typically. It's been held up by a lot of government spending, a lot of stimulus. So, um, so we haven't seen the effects of it, right? Um, however, CPI has been 
came in pretty strong. Core CPI came in strong, right? Expected at 3.8 on the year-over-year -year CPI, came in at 4. Expected at 4.9 on the year-over-year -year core CPI, came in at 5.1. Pretty strong numbers. Tells us that the UK is not going to be able to be cutting rates based off these numbers. However, on the PPI, producer price index, right, we saw declines. So down 1.2% on their inputs. On PP producer price index outputs month over month, we saw a decline. So it's a, so based on the consumer level, it's going to be tough for them to be cutting rates. On the producer level, it's going to be it paints a picture of they're going to have to stand firm for a while. This fits with what's going on across all of Europe, right? They've got a mixed picture this week. When we get back into Davos, we'll talk about Christine Lagarde. She's been saying she's been trying to hold her ground on not having rate cuts. The problem is they're going to be forced to do some rate cuts because it looks like they're they're recessionary. Okay. All right. So that wraps up Wednesday. Um, we did get the beige book, not a significant impact. Uh, that's the that's our U.S. data from our from our Federal Reserve the FOMC meeting. So we'll have a FOMC meeting coming up again after a couple weeks after the FOMC meets. We get a beige book. It tells us what they were thinking, kind of a little bit behind closed doors. We also started housing data this week. We'll, we'll wrap up some housing data today and tomorrow. So we'll probably do a little bit of a recap on that on Friday. <clears throat> and then Thursday. All right. So here we are today. Today we get unemployment claims. We get building permits back into our housing. We get Philly Fed Manufacturing Index. This one's going to be similar to the Empire State. We're going to see if we see some carry through, some consistency with that one. And then again, we're going to get EC, ECB's Lagarde, the European Central Bank. She's the head of the European Central Bank. She'll speak at the World Economic Forum again today. And then <clears throat> tomorrow, we're going to get UK retail sales again. Lagarde will speak, and then we'll wrap up the week with some housing data and U University of Michigan consumer sentiment data. Consumer sentiment data has been a factor lately. It is a it, it was a, a somewhat fraudulent number in the past. In the last 10 to 15 years, they've cleaned it up. It is having an impact on markets. So with that in mind, you know, we will, we, we, we do pay close attention to the University of Michigan sentiment numbers because it can have an impact on the markets and typically does. <clears throat> All right. So with that, let's jump over and take a look at some markets here. All right. Here we have the Dow Jones, right? Everybody's aware of stock markets been in a, in a big up move. Let me see if I can get you so you can see some dates here. All right. So the Dow Jones, I've marked some times in here, right? So this was the 2000 time frame here. Okay, we got 2008 real estate crisis down in here. We had COVID. This was the big move down in COVID, right? That big quick move down, quick move back up. And then we start, here we are, right? We just broke the new highs in the Dow. And we can see this with, right? There was the prior high right in here. And we just broke that high just recently. So it's no surprise to us that the Dow's taking a little bit of a sideways break. And that's where we're at. On, that's where we are. That's And that's a big one, right? The Dow's the one we look at for, Everybody knows the name of the Dow, right? Not everybody follows the S&P 500. Not, not everybody follows the NASDAQ, but people do know the Dow. So the Dow broke to new highs, all right? If we take a, if we flip over here, we'll take a look at the S&P 500. 
S&P also recently went to new highs on this contract, not on the, yeah, there we go. Okay, so what we're looking at in the S&P is, that's our big picture, okay? Pretty much a straight up move. Let's take a quick look at the Nikkei, we'll take a quick look at the German DAX, right? Because that gives us a global perspective. And what we'll do with that is then we can go into, we can break it down, go into a more um, um, microscopic view of what's going on with what we call our harmonic structures. So we take a look at the, we'll flip over here and take a look at the Nikkei. This is Japanese, this is the Japanese market. And what we're looking at here is this upward sloping channel. At the top here, you can see we're right at the top of this channel. So if history repeats, right, we've had all these points where we touch the channel, go sideways, make another move up, go sideways to down, make another move up, go sideways down, make another move up. So if history repeats, right, we wouldn't be surprised to see the Nikkei come over into this space, all right? It's pretty stretched as it is right now meaning it's going to have to do something very spectacular to break out much higher from where it is without a sideways consolidation. Okay, so if we take a look at that, we flip over to Germany, you see a very similar picture. This is the German DAX. This is their primary stock market. Same kind of a situation. Market finds a channel. We go up into the channel, retreats, moves up, down to sideways, goes back up in 2015, comes back, touches the bottom of the channel, goes back up in, this was probably, yeah, so this was 2017. We retreat, we get COVID down in here, right? That was a little bit of a spike outside the norm. We go back up, come back down into the channel, and here we are back at the top of this channel. So if we take it, if we take these markets, right, and we put them in context, right? We have an S&P that's pretty much gone straight up. We have a Dow that's pretty much gone straight up. We have a Nikkei that's at the upper end of its boundary. We have the German DAX that's at the upper end of its boundary. We can we can expect to see some sideways to down trading. Okay, what would change that, right? What would change that is something that changes from expectations, right? What do we have for expectations, right? In October of last year, the Fed came in and they they went on pause, right? So they they pivoted. It went from raising rates to, to doing nothing, okay? And that's where we stand right now. We're still in this pivotal area where the Federal Reserve is on hold, okay? If they decide to not, so then they came out and they said, all right, come March, the market basically did this for them. They said, come March, April, May, we're going to start cutting rates, right? The market said, you're going to start cutting rates, right? The market sometimes does their job for them. In this case, the, if the, they said, so then the FOMC started following suit, right? They said, okay, yep, potentially some rate cuts. And this goes back to that beige book, right? They say, yep, we're probably going to start cutting some rates. And when we do that, right, we're going to want to be data dependent. Okay, so we're going to watch, want to watch the data. This is why we take a look at the economic data. This is why we try to pay attention to all the news. But in the end, what I like to look at are the harmonic structures. And that way I can dig down deep, look inside, get a good feel for what's going on in the markets while keeping this big picture context in mind, right? So we don't want to lose perspective of these big picture contexts because this market's going to have to do something spectacular to go higher from here, right? It's going to have to do something that it hasn't done in since 2000, right? Since the year 2000, so in 24 to 25 years, it's going to have to do something that it hasn't done. 
So the odds are high, right, that we're going to come back down into this area, right? And this, again, this is on the German DAX. Odds are high that we're going to have to come back down into this area. Okay, go sideways. We could, it could be anywhere along this point, right? We could go sideways for a long period of time, which would push us out into 2032, right? That would be this one. This would put us into 2030. This would put us into 2027, right? And a sharp move down, right? Even if we move down very sharply down into here, right? That would put us in mid-2025. mid So this isn't something that's going to happen overnight, right? But this is something we want to pay attention to and keep in our head. These markets are cooked. Right, they're 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 spent. They're at their highs, and so with that in mind, we'll jump over to. We'll take a look at the S and P, and we'll dig down a little bit. All right, so here we go. Okay, so this is our harmonic structure, right? This dark green line is our halfway harmonic, and you can see if we look back. Okay, we'll go back a little bit in time. This was. Down here, we have, this was back in late November, early October. So this was on, a, on the back end of that Fed pivot, like I was talking about. We get this huge run up in the stock market, strongest I've ever seen in my, all my years of doing this, right? In, this, in that shorter period of time, very, very intense move up. And then it's got to digest that move. Okay, so how does it digest that move? Well, we can see this halfway harmonic and we can see all the pink dots that I've placed on here every time we hit this harmonic, right? So we're hitting this halfway harmonic. Now remember, we had this back in late October, okay? So we had this structure. So we can look, this is how we can take the past, push it into the present, right? And lay out a structure for the future. And that's what's happening, right? We're starting to see the market hit this halfway harmonic and it's bouncing around to these five eights, six eights. So every place that I've placed a turquoise or a pink dot shows a reaction to the harmonic structure. And you can see if I push it back forward into today, the reactions to this harmonic. So we can throw another one right here that happened yesterday. Okay. And let me change that to, there we go. Okay. So there's another reaction to that halfway harmonic. Okay. And guess where we're at now? We're pushing back up on that five eighths level. So we're going to wait to see what's the reaction at this five eighths harmonic. Hopefully you can see that harmonic right there because it's pretty, fairly important for us. Here, I'll change it to purple for you. That should show up. So there, that's where we're at. So we came off the halfway harmonic yesterday. We're back up to the 5 eighths level. So we keep the big picture of the S&P 500 in mind, right? We know that it can still push a little bit higher, which would be our target up in here, right? This bright green line. That would be our target in the S&P 500. It looks like a big move. It is a big move. However, in the context of those bigger picture moves, it's not that big. Okay, so we would love to see a push up into this level because if you're if if we if we want to take a short stance on a market or we want to liquidate some of our position, it's at these points here when we get to these harmonic levels where we want to do that. Okay, so hopefully that puts a little bit of framework in mind with the stock market. The um, so we've covered the economic data, we've taken a look at a few stock markets. We'll jump back in a little bit later. We'll take a look at the dollar. We'll take a look at the gold and silver because they made some pretty significant um, movements yesterday off some prior harmonic structures. We have a we have an active structure of the dollar. Everybody knows who's been watching. Um, dollar is one of my favorite ones to watch because it's so important, right? The dollar is it sits at the center of everything. I mean, it is the global reserve currency still, even though we know it's under pressure, right? We're doing all we can to destroy it. Maybe not all of us, but collectively. 
So right now, the dollar, let me just flip over that so we can take a quick peek. We will come back to this and take a look at this, but we came back, we came up into this breakout zone. We got stuck up in here yesterday, right? So we did make our move and we did get back up into this breakout structure. And this is where it builds energy. So the question is, are we gonna fail here, right? Because the trend is still down, right? We haven't proven anything, but we did, we did prove that we can come back up into the zone. Is it going to fail here or is it going to push ahead, right? And a lot of that's going to have to do on geopolitical things. It's going to have to do on, because what happens is if we, so we're going to, we're going to jump in here in just a second. We're going to cover Poland, okay? The primary, what I, what I perceive to be one of, if not the primary choke point and provocation of war. So if we get some kind of a provocation, if we get some sort of a geopolitical issue, where's that, what's going to happen, right? That could be a catalyst that helps drive this dollar higher. And, and so that's why we pay attention to the dollar because it reacts to commodities. It reacts to stock markets somewhat. It reacts to bond markets, it works together with bond markets, and it also reacts to geopolitical issues. So with that, we're going to take a look, we're going to jump over and we're going to start taking a look at, we're going to get ready to go to clip one here. Okay. And this one, we did this one yesterday, right? This is Victoria Newland, right? A little bit of history on Victoria Newland, okay, just to set this up. She's been floating around Washington, D.C. her whole life, um, and her husband too, right, Robert Kagan. Robert Kagan, his father, Donald Kagan, has a storied past in, in politics and, um, and, yeah, basically just politics, right? Not getting into that. We will cover a little bit on Robert Kagan, but the point is Victoria Newland's been an actor in Ukraine in this hot spot that we're that we're looking at. So let's take one quick look again here, right, at our hot spot. So she's been active in Ukraine. She's been active in Europe. Okay. She's been this has been her 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 deal for her pretty much most of her career. Right. So we're gonna take a look at what she has to say again, you know, about Europe, right? Remember, Ukraine, she's responsible for Ukraine and Europe. And, and we'll take a look at what she has to say. So we can go ahead and play clip one. Does start to gain altitude. The Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. The video has a transcript in Russian. The U.S. State Department said it didn't know where the recording came from, but it criticized Moscow for publicizing it while being suitably contrite towards the EU. We work incredibly closely with the EU and with representatives of the EU, and Assistant Secretary Newland certainly does as it relates to Ukraine, and she's been in close contact with uh, EU High Representative Ashton. Also, let me convey that uh, she has been in contact with her EU counterparts and, and of course, uh, has apologized. A spokeswoman for the EU foreign policy chief told Euronews that Brussels wouldn't comment on a leaked alleged phone conversation. The video clearly aims to embarrass the US, echoing Moscow's accusations that the West is meddling in Ukraine. What appears to be a hacked phone conversation between top U.S. officials about Ukraine, in which the EU is dismissed in crude terms, has been posted on the Internet. The comments are attributed to the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State Karen Newland, who met President Yanukovych and opposition leaders separately in Kiev on Thursday. The date and precise context of the recording are not known. Newland and the U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt, discuss which of the country's opposition leaders they'd like to see in government, and they refer to getting the U.N. involved. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it and, you know, f the EU. 
No, exactly. And I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because you can be pretty sure that if it does, if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. The video has a transcript in Russian. The U.S. State Department said it didn't know where the recording came from, but it criticized Moscow for publicizing it while being suitably contrite towards the EU. We work incredibly closely with the EU and with representatives of the EU, and Assistant Secretary Newland certainly does as it relates to Ukraine, and she's been in close contact with uh, EU High Representative Ashton. Also, let me convey that uh, she has been in contact with her EU counterparts and, and of course, uh, has apologized. A spokeswoman for the EU foreign policy chief told Euronews that Brussels wouldn't comment on a leaked alleged phone conversation. The video clearly aims to embarrass the US, echoing Moscow's accusations that the West is meddling in Ukraine. All right, so there we go. So we get a little bit of background on Victoria Newland. Um, this was in 2014, uh, around that time frame, right? At this point in time, she was the... Um, in the Obama administration, she was the assistant secretary of state for European and Eurasian affairs, right? And then she was shortly after that sworn in, right, as assistant secretary. Um, and, and so there she, this is when she started to pick up ties with NATO in a strong way, right? So during this time also, right, we can remember the Maidan uprising, okay, in Ukraine. Newland made appearances supporting this Maidan supporting the made on protesters, right? Just remember that like hundreds of people died, a lot of police officers got injured in this. So it was definitely um, in a, uh, a provocation. Okay, so that's her background, right? Um, the, so she was the point person for it, right? Revolution, they also call this made on, they also call it the revolution of dignity, right? She was a US point person for this, right? Establishing, so she established loan guarantees right? Billion dollar loan guarantees in 2014, $5 billion. So again, already the money was flying. The reason I like to look back at this stuff is for this reason, is that we now know so much more about Ukraine, right? We know Joe Biden, we know Hunter Biden, right? We know all the bioweapons labs that are there. <clears throat> we know so much more about Ukraine. It's sometimes it's good to go back and reflect and see, okay, here's the same lady that was an operator back then. She's still operating over there today. Okay. In a little bit different capacity. Right. But, but that's what we have. Okay. The same kind of an operator been there the whole time, money, moving money through there, right. U S taxpayer money, moving NATO money through there. So that's just another form of mostly U S taxpayer money, right. Goes into NATO, NATO then feeds other things. So whether it's direct or whether it's indirect, right. Directly from the U S or directly from NATO, we're feeding a lot of this stuff. Right. And there's our operative. Right. So that's a little bit on Victoria Newland. All right, just a little bit more background under the, um, so she came out of power, obviously under Trump, right? She took basically stepped to the sidelines. Her husband, Robert Kagan, right? He writes for the Washington Post. He, um, he also has a, a storied background with a couple, um, I think it's Billy, Bill Crystal, William Crystal, who was a neocon. So these people love war, right? They love war. Okay. Newland and her husband, they just sunk their neocons, right? They love war. Okay, for whatever reason, whether they've been chosen to help facilitate that, whether they, you know, it, it's just, it's it's too much to understand. But what we know is that's her background, right? She's an operative over there. She knows how to funnel money. She knows how to help with these revolutions, the, the, the revolution for dignity, right? Or the Maidan revolution, right? That's who she is, 
Okay, so with that, what we're going to do is we're going to enter a new character into the equation, right? That's Donald Tusk. Okay, so Donald Tusk was prime minister in Poland in, yeah, here we go. Uh, I'll come back to that. So we, in Poland, he was prime minister, in, I think, 2007 to 2014. He then left there, went to the European Council, right? Became a president in the European Council. And that's where we're going to pick up this next clip, right, is him talking to Obama, right, late in Obama's administration. So this is around 2015, I think, right? late 2014, right, when Donald Tusk is leaving, right, his, his role as Polish prime minister, right, in a party that he had started and helped rise up, and he leaves to go to the European Council, right? He spends five years, I think, there, five or six years there, maybe seven years. And so as a trader dealing in these markets, it was, there was always um, Jean-Claude Trichet, Mario Draghi, Donald Tusk, and Jean-Claude Bunker. Uh, uh, yeah, I think Bunker. Yeah, anyway, name escapes me right now. Yunker, Yunker. So John called Yunker. Those were the ones that caused so much turmoil. And then obviously Christine Lagarde at the International Monetary Fund. Those five people caused so much turmoil across Europe, you know, collectively over a 20 year span. So I know this name because he did nothing but cause problems for me as a trader. However, you know, what, we, what we'll see here in this clip is we're gonna see how he was setting up, right, to work with Obama we know Obama's ties to Ukraine by the back door with Biden, right? Hunter Biden, all this stuff. So with that, we can jump in and we'll play clip two. I think transatlantic unity is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, we face a number of significant challenges. Obviously, a major topic of conversation today uh, will be the situation in Ukraine. Uh, we are all committed to making sure that uh, we uphold the basic principles of sovereignty and territorial integrity. Uh, that have been threatened by Russian aggression. Uh, we've been able to maintain strong unity with respect to sanctions. Uh, we very much appreciate the work that's been done uh, by Chancellor Angela Merkel and uh, President uh, Francois Hollande uh, to establish a Minsk process. Uh, but we also know from experiences over the last year that uh, unless we have strong monitoring and strong implementation, uh, that uh, these agreements will be meaningless. And so part of what we'll be discussing is how do we make sure that uh, we are able to monitor effectively what's happening on the ground in Ukraine and how do we continue to maintain pressure on Russia, on the separatists, uh, to abide by these agreements. Uh, we'll also have an opportunity to talk about uh, the uh, significant challenges that the Ukrainian economy faces. Uh, we have to make sure that the 90% of Ukraine that uh, is still effectively governed by Kiev, uh, is able to succeed. And uh, that requires uh, that we work together, uh, Europe and the United States, uh, to supplement uh, the work that's being done by the IMF. Uh, we'll also be talking about a, a wide range of other issues. Uh, we share concerns about uh, global growth and the global economy, and this will be an opportunity for us to highlight uh, the opportunities of strengthening trade through uh, the transatlantic uh, trade agreement that uh, is currently being discussed uh, between the two parties. Uh, we'll have a chance to discuss the situation in Greece uh, and what more can be done to bolster uh, European growth, uh, which obviously has been lagging over the course of the last uh, seven, eight years. and. Uh, ends up having a, an impact on the world economy and the U.S. economy. 
Uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk about uh, some of the security challenges that we face uh, both beyond Ukraine, uh, including the situation in Libya, uh, the situation in Iraq, uh, the need for us to be unified in our fight against ISIL, uh, but also uh, to work effectively to prevent foreign fighters from getting to Syria, uh, as well as uh, foreign fighters uh, leaving Syria, coming back to uh, Europe and the United States and potentially endangering uh, our fellow citizens. So uh, we have a busy agenda, uh, but uh, I know that I've got a great partner uh, and very much uh, look forward to uh, hearing uh, Mr. Tusk's views uh, on these very important issues. So thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. First, let me thank President Obama for inviting me in my new role as President of the Grand Council to Washington. We, thank you very much. We, we have too much to discuss. Um, however, I, I, I would like to pay attention, special attention to three topics, namely the, the critical relations with Russia in the Ukrainian context, um, the, the threat of uh, terrorism and actions of the so-called Islamic State in, in the context, of course, uh, in the context of Libya, and uh, lastly, our negotiations on TTIP, I mean the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. Um, although these are three different, uh, very different uh, challenges, um, they have uh, um, a common denominator, I think. It's a need maybe greater than ever before, need for unity of Europe and uh, the United States. We are witnessing today calling into uh, question, even attacking of uh, our fundamental values, like freedom, liberal democracy, uh, prosperity, and, and, and for sure geopolitical order. And, uh, our enemies uh, who use propaganda against us uh, commit acts of violence and uh, violate the sovereignty of our neighbors. They want uh, to weaken the political community of the Western world. Today we can see with uh, full clarity that uh, they are trying to divide us uh, inside of Europe as well as uh, Europe and, and America. But uh, when we are united, we will be able to, to put a stop to the aggressive uh, policy of Russia uh, against uh, neighbors. And uh, uh, the past has shown that uh, when we were united, we were able to successfully fight against terrorism. And also, thanks to the fact that we have acted together in the field in economy and, and uh, free trade, we achieved uh, success. When it comes to TTIP, um, getting agreement, um, it's, it's my hope that getting agreement uh, it's not so difficult as, uh, as difficult as uh, people think. We have uh, strong arguments. 
Of course, we need to balance the result of negotiations, for sure, and, and we have to convince uh, our public opinion of, uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. But we have strong arguments, and uh, I believe that 2015 will be a crucial, crucial year in, in this process, because, in fact, TTIP is not only about trade, but also about uh, the chance of, uh, of growth of jobs and also, it's about uh, geopolitical security and, and our transatlantic uh, cooperation. Uh, second, we, we have to stop uh, violent extremism spreading in Africa. We, we, we must uh, help Libya uh, because we, have, we, we cannot have a failed state uh, run by warlords and uh, and fanatics sitting uh, uh, into anarchy just 100 miles of uh, uh, the southern coast of, of, of Europe. And third, uh, Ukraine, now today we are united on the need for uh, full implement of, impl implement of uh, the Minsk agreement and also on our determination. Uh, to maintain the sanctions on Russia uh, until the Minsk agreement is fully implemented. You know, it's a, the brutal history is, is, uh, is returned to us. And uh, brutal history and, and the politics of fait accompli. And this is why I think uh, this is so important that uh, for, for Europe and for America that we, we have to not only speak in one voice, but also to act in, in, in unison. Uh, because uh, who we are tomorrow depends on what we do uh, today. And I, I deeply believe that now is, is, is the best time to some kind of uh, renaissance of faith in our community. And you Americans uh, express this need, I think, in, in the most convincing phrase I, I know, uh, united we stand, divided we fall. Yes. I'm convinced that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. I'm sorry, what's that? What about it? Uh, well, I, I think it's somewhat ironic uh, to see uh, some members of Congress wanting to make common cause with the hardliners in Iran. Uh, it's an unusual coalition. Uh, I think what we're going to focus on right now is actually seeing whether we can get a deal or not. And uh, once we do, then we'll, uh, if we do, then we'll be able to make the case to the American people. And uh, I'm confident we'll be able to implement it. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, so there we get a little bit of background on Donald Tusk, right? And this was early in his transition from being the prime minister of Poland as being a president, one of the presidents in the European Council. So. At this point in time, Donald Tusk, right, had had kind of a mixed background, right? He had tried to reduce some of the powers of the president, right, which was his countervailing role 
in Poland, okay, by reducing the power. So basically the president wouldn't have veto power. He also tried to make some changes in other parts of the of the um, their political structure. Then he en enters the European Council, right? And so he'd had a background with the missile defense shield, right? Which was involved with Obama and, you know, just without going into great detail into it, Obama had really upset Putin, right? With locating nuclear weapons pointed at Russia. And he was looking to locate these all over Europe, right? Poland was one of the potential spots, right? So, and there were some other spots, right? Turkey, you know, and with that in mind, right? Uh, Donald Tusk was at this point in time that we see him with, with Barack Obama, he hadn't, he hadn't dug his feet in yet. Okay. So in terms of war, a war footing, all right. Um, while he was the, the European, like I said, you know, from a financial standpoint, he caused a lot of problems because remember we were dealing with, um, a zero interest rate or negative interest rate policy in Europe at the time. Okay. So Europe was pretty, they were struggling, right? They were flat on their backs. They were, um, running negative interest rate policies and creating all these things, right? Funding operations, these things they called Teltros, you know, and then they'd add on to it and, you know, they'd add, you know, we'd go from a three letter, uh, you know, um, operation to a four letter, Teltros, the, you know, Quattro. I mean, it was unbelievable the things they came up with, right? So what it did is it destroyed their banking system. And again, finance is at the center of a lot of this. Okay. So why war, right? Why would war be a factor when, when finances get out of control, right? It's kind of like a magician, right? They have you look over here while they pull the trick over there. Well, that's a little bit how war works, right? Every time war is a way to enrich, right? It gives them control right? It gives them expanded power. It creates confusion, which is what they need when things are out of control. Okay. And so with that in mind, put in context, the stock markets, right? We saw the Nikkei hitting the upper end of its channel. Okay. Something miraculous is going to ha have to happen for that, for the Nikkei, the Japanese stock market to break on the new highs right? and blow out of that trading range, right? That channel, same thing with the German DAX, right? It's up against it as well, right? Same situation. The Dow, the S&P, right? The NASDAQ, all these markets, right? These big global stock markets are up against their upper channel. So, and they're being stimulated with debt, right? So the more debt that these countries put out, the more money that we funnel over Ukraine, the more we, why do we do that? We do that to create war, okay? Because we got to fund this thing. If we didn't fund this, right? Russia would crush Ukraine and put them in the backseat immediately. So we have to fund this, right? To create the confusion. And with that, Donald Tusk is now, right? Here he goes, he's over in the European, you know, he's president of the European Council, right? For this six or seven year window. He makes buddies with all these people that I mentioned, right? Ursula von der Leyen, um, you know, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, Mario Draghi, right? Sarkozy of France, right? All these guys that pass through, you know? So now he's a, now he's a global operator, okay? And what does he do, right? He comes back to Poland. Okay. So we can get ready to run that next clip when he comes back to Poland, right? Now, let me just frame this up a little bit. He comes back to Poland and he had created the party that he's coming back to on his first stint as prime minister. Okay. So now he's coming back, but he doesn't get the majority vote. Okay. He doesn't win it, but there's a backdoor deal that gets made. Okay. It gets him in there, right? 
and, and so then he enters back into power as prime minister of of uh, Poland, right? And Duda, right, who's the president, I don't think these guys are buddies, okay? Duda's been a part of the a right-leaning stance, right, a, more of a conservative stance. Tusk isn't that kind of an operator, right? So with that, we can roll clip three. Heavyweight. The return of Donald Tusk is a relief for many in Poland who had feared for the country's democracy under eight years of conservative rule. We've won democracy. We've won freedom. We've won back our beloved Poland. Tusk was prime minister from 2007 to 2014. He left Polish politics to take on the presidency of the European Council, which he held until 2019. Warm ties with the EU have been central to his election campaign. Under the right-wing populist Law and Justice Party, relations between Warsaw and Brussels have soured. The EU has voiced concern over the rule of law and froze funds earmarked for Poland. Key election promises from Tusk's coalition have included reversing policies that undermined the independence of Poland's courts and media. For Brussels, Tusk is a welcome and familiar face. Almost 10 years ago, in my first speech as a president of the European Council, I said that I came to Brussels with a strong sense of purpose. And I think I can repeat these words also today. This uh, purpose today is to rebuild the position of my country in Europe and to strengthen the EU as a whole. Tusk will lead a broad coalition that has found common ground in ousting the Conservative government. Policy promises include introducing a bill on same-sex civil partnerships and relaxing some of Europe's most restrictive abortion laws. But Tusk will face vocal opposition. President Andrzej Duda was the Law and Justice Party candidate when he first won office. Duda could use his veto to stall legislative reforms until the end of his term at the next presidential election in 2025. In Parliament, Law and Justice is still the biggest single party, and they've used their last weeks in office to appoint more allies to key posts in judicial and financial institutions. This leaves the new government with an immense task ahead as they try to realign with the EU and undo eight years of right-wing policy. All right, so back to Ursula von der Leyen. Let me set up this next clip. Okay, so Ursula von der Leyen, right, we're going to see in this next clip, she is, we're going to see her and Donald Tusk, okay, uh, uh, partnering up, okay, Donald Tusk is coming from the European Council, okay, President of the European Council, he's now coming back to Poland, right, as the Prime Minister. As soon as he gets there, Ursula von der Leyen, right, is there to greet him with money, okay, so under the... They're, they're part of the, Poland is part of the European Union, right? But they obviously haven't been getting the funding that, you know, that they could have gotten. And somewhat, and, and I've seen numbers of as high as 50 to $60 billion, right? Of funding that's basically been held back because Poland's been resisting some of the things that the EU wants them to do. Okay, what are those things? We don't know. Some of it's behind doors, some of it's, you know, some of it 
we'll see in the news, some of it we don't. The key is though, Ursula von der Leyen has a little bit of a storied background, okay? She's an economics doctorate, okay? This is her background. She, um, uh, so when she was writing her thesis to get her doctorate, they, we found that about uh, 50%, right? They found that about 50% of her doctorate was plagiarized, okay? And yet that was fine. They whitewashed it, right? They moved on, no big deal. Um, and right, no big deal to them, right? Then under Angela Merkel, right, she gets her first role as a politician, right? Which is as the, she is the Minister of Family Affairs, okay, in 2005. Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany appoints her. In 2009, right, she gets moved up to Minister of Labor and Social Affairs, right? And then in 2013, she becomes Minister of Defense. So a pretty big jump, right, from Minister of Social Affairs to Minister of Defense. And then she moves on to be the president of the European Commission, okay? So that's where she's at now. And this is where we're gonna, where her and Donald Tusk are gonna meet up in this next clip, right? Donald Tusk coming back is the prime minister of Poland, Ursula von der Leyen in charge of the European Commission. And immediately within days, right, funds start to flow. And so with that, we can play clip four. Prime Minister, yeah, Donald, what a pleasure to welcome you here in Berlin in your new and old capacity. As Prime Minister, times are challenging and your personal commitment and European experience will be invaluable for our European family. We have a lot of work ahead of us and I'm happy that we can do this alongside with you. First, I welcome your commitment to put the rule of law at the top of your government agenda and your determination to address all the concerns that have been expressed in the last years by the European Court and by the Commission. I also welcome that you have taken the initiative for Poland to join the European Public Prosecutor Office. This is excellent news, first and foremost for Polish citizens, but also for European partners and European citizens. Second, we of course both share the aim to make progress on next generation. And I'm glad that we finally got the first payment request. We need to make up for lost time. And I look forward in particular to working closely together on addressing the milestones on judicial independence so that we can then proceed with the first payment. We will need to work hard, but in view of actions that you have taken so far and uh, planning to take, I'm hopeful that together we can resolve these issues. For far too long, the concerns about the rule of law have hampered our capacity to help Poland modernize its economy and implement the twin transition, the green and the digital. In the meantime, I am glad to share good news on your Repower EU, EU plan. The Commission is working to transfer to Poland 5 billion euro in pre-financing before the end of the year. This will help Poland to modernize its energy systems and decarbonizing decarbonization efforts 
And indeed, the fight against climate change is the most essential priority for all of us. We need Poland on board. So let me finish by wishing you and your government full success and rest assured that the Commission stands by your side. Prime Minister, yeah. All right, so there we get a look at Ursula von der Leyen and Donald Tusk, right? Making buddies, money money changing hands, right? Immediately the spigots start to flow into Poland, right? Out of the out of the Euro, European Commission. And so that means he understands what's going on, right? He's had his time as a Polish prime minister, spends his time in the uh, European economic uh, president, right? And now he's he's learned uh, how that how that game gets played, right? He's definitely a European centric kind of guy, right? We could almost start to classify him as a globalist. He's on the verge of becoming a globalist here, right? And we have some other clips, you know, of him, you know, starting to carouse with the with some other globalists. However, the, the most important thing here to realize is that the flow of funds have started. Okay, so immediately they release the funds. With that in mind, right? What we're going to do is set up the next clip, which is what they had to do, right? So, so we have a right-leaning, we have, so we had this eight-year period, okay, as we saw in some of those clips of, of a right-leaning uh, political stance, right? Donald Trump trying to bring in natural gas, right? Uh, rather than utilize the, the, the Russian pipeline, Ukrainian pipelines that are feeding a lot of Europe. But what we're seeing is Donald Tusk is now the, uh, he is now starting to play the role of a guy that is um, willing to play ball, okay? And what does he do next, right? What happens next? And in this next clip, what we're going to see is um, not only do they basically a coup, okay? So this is essentially what you're going to see is a ticked-off parliament guy from Poland, okay? And we're going to see this is what it looks like when a coup starts, okay? And they basically have raided, you know, the media and they've raided and they basically locked up some people. So similar to our Congress, right? Similar to a House of Representatives. They basically walked in and locked these guys up. So with that, we can run clip five, right? And we can see how quickly Tusk has moved, okay? He has uh, taken the money from Europe, right? The European Union. And now he's moving forward with supposedly, right, cleaning things up. For several years now, the European Union, based in Brussels, has been on the case of Poland. They've accused the last Polish government of stuffing the media with their allies, of making unwise judicial appointments, and indeed, sanctions have been threatened again and again against Poland. But at the last election, the last general election, Donald Tusk, of course, the former boss of the European Council, became the Polish Prime Minister again. And it didn't take very long for police armed with truncheons to raid state media. TVP is the TV station, Polsky Radio is the radio station. There was also a news agency and literally on the most watched TV station in Poland, the cameras literally went blank. Well, it's revenge of a kind, I guess, for Donald Tusk. What astonishes me is how little coverage this has had in mainstream media. Now, Dominic Chazinski is a member of the European Parliament 
front for the Law and Justice Pol Party in Poland. He's been with me before in the studio, but today he joins me from Warsaw. Now, Dominic, Happy New Year, if I can say that to you. I know you're... Happy New Year to you, Nigel. I know you're not, you're not in the best of moods about what's going on. No, sorry, I, I, I am not. I, I'd like to celebrate New Year, but there is nothing to celebrate in Poland. I, I am in the Polish parliament at the moment. I'd love to be with my friends, with my family, but there is nothing to celebrate. We have to protest, we have to react, we have to shout and scream about what is going on in beautiful, safe, so far, Poland. You see, you are the only one who contacted me to discuss this crisis, this, this rape, and I'm using word uh, rape because this is rape on freedom, and we are not a banana republic. No one would expect that in this beautiful European Union, full of beautiful words of, about freedom of speech, about democracy, about the rule of law, and, and, uh, and the rest of it, Donald Tusk, uh, a golden child of this uh, Brussels, um, Brussels elites, would do what he did. And this is unspeakable. Dominic, I, 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 you know, I'm not surprised that I'm the only UK media or even EU media outlet that's spoken well, to you. Thank you, GB News. You yeah, are, no, you are I, the, I get the, the real genuine. I'm really, really thankful because However. no one is interested. However, no, to close down state media, to put it into liquidation, to take it off air is extraordinary. They could have, of course, just gently replaced some personnel. Final thought on this. Do they have some justification in saying that no. when your party... No, not at all. Hang on, hang on, hang on. That when your no. party was in power, that you stuffed the organization with your own supporters? No. It is not true. That's number one. By the numbers, you can, you can tell who was hired. But even if that would be a case, you cannot use physical force against the media workers, yeah. journalists, and MPs. One of our MPs, female MPs, was brutally beaten, actually, and she is hurt. No. You cannot use private security company to get rid of people who are protesting and MPs. This is not a banana republic, and this is what Tusk did. He cut off the signal which never happened, never ever happened in the history of Poland, apart from martial, martial law times during the communism. He, he behaves like a communist. Well, we never well actually, did Dominic, we, actually, Dominic, you say that Poland is not a banana republic, but the way Tusk has behaved in the last couple of days makes me seriously question that. Thank you this, for coming this on. Makes, this makes Thank our, you for coming this on and talking about this. Like and, a we will. Actually, and we will. Because he's the banana king. We will, thank you, and we will go to Donald Tusk's government and we'll ask them for a statement on this too. This is extraordinary. All right, there we go. So we can see, obviously, things are heating up over in Poland, right? So we have you know, Donald Tusk receiving the money, right? Now he's cleaning house, right? The media, we can see this guy, this politician, and I, we'd like to try to get this guy on. I think this guy's approachable. I think this is a guy we could get on and do an interview with. I'd like to learn more from him and ask him some questions so we can take this a little bit further, right? Rather than us just watching clips, we'll talk, you know, to someone who's on the inside. Um, so uh, um, this, you know, the guy that was talking with Nigel Farage, right, the parliamentary member. So um, it'd be great if we can get something scheduled with him and we'll try to do that. The, uh, but the important thing here is you can see the escalation, right? You know, from 2014, you know, we can see the evolution of Donald Tusk, right? We can see 
the, the, the relationships that he made while he was at the European Council, right? We can see now that he's back in Poland. He's obviously receiving money. He's making moves, right? And he sits, and again, let's just take one quick look again at this map, right? So we have Ukraine, we have Poland, and we have Belarus, right? This is the dividing line between Russia and Europe. And we know, like, look, Russia's been painted as the boogeyman since, you know, for forever, right? You know, the what we have to look at, though, is, you know, who really are the bad guys now? You know, I'm not saying that Russia's great, right? But relative to everyone else, I'm not so sure. If we look at, you know, if we go back and we think about this, okay, we have Russia, who their debt to GDP is pretty low, okay? They're in, if we look, we can pull up the debt, maybe we'll take a look at that. I'm, I don't have it up right now, but if you look at the top 50 countries around the world, they right, they're at the bottom in terms of debt to GDP. So they're in pretty good financial standing. They, the rest of the world isn't, okay? And so, you know, Russia has been doing things right, you know, for the past 30 years. They haven't really tried to, they haven't really been the aggressors. They were sort of baited into attacking Ukraine, right? And look, I mean, part of Ukraine is Russian, right? And they want to be Russian, right? So, you know, Ukraine's already divided, right? It's been divided for a long time. So it's already, you know, part want to go, part want to be European, part of them want to be Russian, right? We could get into all the history on that, but it's, it gets pretty complex. Let's just keep it simple. We have this dividing line between Russia and Europe, right? Russia is not in financial and not in financial turmoil. The rest of the world is, right? So what do they want? They want the resources of Russia. They don't want Russia taking a stance and being a problem for their globalist agenda, right? Which is war, right? And so what do they want to do? They want to use war, right? To cover things up. And that's where we find ourselves. That's why this makes Poland a hotspot, right? So we can go to all these different straits, right? These choke points around the world where, yeah, they can shut off our logistics supply chains, you know, through Taiwan and shut off computer chips, right? They can shut off the Red Sea and, you know, stop the flow of logistics, you know, basically similar to the Silk Road, similar to the, you know, the, um, the Belt and Road Initiative, right? That kind of fits in alignment with it. So the flow of goods from China up into Europe, down into the Middle East, right, over into China, Asia, right, back and forth through that area, right? So we have all these these areas that we can talk about, and we will, right? But right now we see the moves of this Donald Tusk, right? We see him in this Wanderland, right, teaming up, you know, and then we'll, this week we're going to cover as we get into the World Economic Forum, we'll take a look at Christine Lagarde, we'll take a look at some of these other players, right, who are at the World Economic Forum, already proven globalists, right, who are, you know, who want NATO, right? And then we get into NATO, right? So we've got some issues there and we're, we'll cover that, right? So Jens Stoltenberg, who currently runs NATO, okay? He's gonna be exiting the picture, picture this year in 2024. The question is who's gonna enter into the equation, right? Who's gonna be the next head of the NATO, right? Well, rumors are Mark Rutt. Mark Rutt is a similar operator, a lot like Donald Tusk. So we're starting to see this, this uh, um, provocation of war right? This constant provocation of war, right? From all angles around up in that region. Okay. So to me, this is something we need to pay attention to. It's why we spent the time today going through this, going through Poland. And now we have somewhat of a framework, right? What we'll do is we'll try to lay this out. So we got a quick, easy framework so we can refer back to this. And we'll refer back to this, uh, this, you know, our, our show today, right? As this evolves, because everything's leading to the fact that this is going to be a provocation for war 
this is this is where it's, this is a a one of the primary places where it's starting to build right and it has all the right ingredients right all the right ingredients are there and 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 so that's where we leave it today right we'll leave it with that on poland right we now have a framework right the rest of the week we're going to take a little bit of a dive into world economic forum we'll roll that over into next week right and with that let's go back we'll take a quick look back at markets again um, I'm going to go over to the dollar. Uh, I like to always take a look at the dollar. Um, we, we did a little bit of this um, earlier. We took just a brief look at it. And so again, right, we have this breakout zone, all right, in the pink, uh, this pink zone up here, right, this basically this whole area up in here. And the, this is when the signal came in back in here. Okay, so we go down, test the halfway. Again, you can see this theme with the S&P 500, right? We hit the halfway one, two, three, four times, every one of those pink spots, okay? We don't complete this, right? This was a problem, you know, let me slide this up so you can see this. So we would have loved to have seen the dollar get down into here because then it basically is completed. The harmonic structure is completed and we can lean on this at that point, right? We can see what kind of a pivot, what kind of a reaction happens at that 99.81. We didn't get it, right? We get to the seven eights, right? Which is where this stopped right in here. And we turn it up, right? We go up, come back, retest the halfway. Now we're back up in this breakout zone. Now in this breakout zone, that's where energy builds. So what we're looking at is, could the dollar fail from here, right? Could it really make an accelerated move down from here? It is possible, right? We, we know all the fundamentals, Dr. Kirk, who's on the show a lot, um, you know, with Pete a lot, he was, just did a great presentation the other day with Alex Jones on, you know, the future of currency, the future of, um, you know, where they're taking this with central bank digital currency and the BRICS nation, you know, and, and at some point we'll cover that as well. So we cover both sides of it. But the point is the dollar is in a, is in a, a very significant spot here. Okay. If we think back to the, if we think back to what we saw earlier in the S and P, right, here's the S and P 500. Right, we hit the halfway, now we're up at the, the five eights. It's in kind of a precarious spot too, okay? We could go through the Dow, it's very similar. We could go through the NASDAQ, it's very similar too. You know, we have our pictures of the Nikkei, right? You know, it's up against longer term. Again, this is longer term, right? So this isn't like the S&P, but it's up against, it's up against it, right? It's It has some issues here. Same thing with the German DAX, right? It's up against it too, okay? so. With all that in mind, the we can jump over and let's take a quick look at silver and gold, okay? Because those those enter into the equation now too. So silver, right? We would love to see this one complete, okay? See if I can slide this up for you. Make sure I can get it on the screen there. I think the bottom's blocking it. Okay, so here we go. So. Silver, same thing, right? We have these pink dots at the halfway level. Okay, so similar thing. This is why the halfway, you'll hear me refer to the halfway is, is a significant level. And it here it proves itself again, right? We go down, we test it, right? Right in here, we come, we break through down to the six eights, go back up to the halfway, test it, go back up to the halfway, re retest it again. And here we proceed lower, right? So we'd love to see this thing hit this structure down here, hit the full downside harmonic because because why? Because it would give us something to lean against. Okay, so this is what we're looking for down in here. Can silver get down to this $22.14 an ounce? 
If it does, it'll give us something globally, right? Because metals are global, right? The metals are, um, are global component, right? They're used for industrial, they're precious, precious metals, industrial metals, right? Store of value, and also for, you know, production of, of chips, uh, catalytic converters, stuff all over, you know, all over the place. The, what's important about, you know, the silver market is it crosses the boundary, right? It's an industrial metal. It's also a precious metal. It's also an affordable precious metal, right? So this is one that we can keep our eye on, right? If, if you, if you like, what you're seeing with these structures and you think, you know, boy, maybe silver is something for me, right? We get down to this 2214 level and maybe it's something to evaluate, right? It's something to talk to a financial planner about, something to talk to Dr. Kirk about, someone like that, right? Because this could be a level where silver holds. If it doesn't, what I like to do is look at the financial side of it because if I'm wrong, I can get out right away, right? If I purchase the metal, then I have to, and I'm wrong at that level, what do I do with it? I can't, load a ball up back in a basket, take it, sell it. But if it comes down into this level from a financial perspective, I can come in, buy the silver market, see what happens. And then if it starts to hold and it starts to prove that it's correct, then you can convert that over to the physical metal, right? So the, the, uh, um, this is a market that we're watching closely, right? I also want to pop up the gold market because this will look a little bit messy probably. Um, but it's pretty significant. So we had a signal back in, um, well, right here it started. So I think it was end of, a, end of, I think end of September. And so we watched the gold market trade around, you know, for those of you who were following market ultra back then, you know, we had this upside target at $2,134 and 60 cents, right? That's this old green line up in here. Right. And, you know, Again, we saw a reaction here. Let me flip it over here. There we go. Okay, so here's the gold market. All right. So we have this breakout zone back in September. Okay, gold breaks out above it, right? Goes up and tests this halfway level right in here. Okay, breaks through. And we go up to the full upside at $2,134.60. And this was off of the Red Sea attack. Okay, so this was when the first attacks occurred in the Red Sea. And... Um, this caused global um, consternation, right? A lot of uh, um, fear, right? In a lot of fear in around the globe. So where do people go? They go to gold, right? So that's what we saw. This was on a Sunday night. This move from here to here occurred on a Sunday night, right? By Sunday morning, by Monday morning, right? The market had already started to come back off again and went down. Where did it go? Right back down in the breakout zone. Okay, so kind of like what we're seeing with the dollar now, right? It, but in inverse. Gold then goes back up. You can see all the reactions, all these dots in here, these pink dots against the halfway harmonic, right? We do break above it here for a little bit, but you can see clearly this one was a very clear reaction. This one was a very clear reaction. So this is an, this is an old signal, right? This signal is, is aged and it is, um, it already played out, right? As soon as it hit that 2134.60 an ounce on the upside, it was done. Okay. But what we do is we hang on to these harmonic levels. We call them residual harmonic levels, right? They still have an impact. They're just not quite as impactful as they were the first time. Sometimes more, but usually not. So in this case, we're watching this gold market. If this gold market starts to break down below this area, right? It's in, it, that's problematic, right? We start to take the other side of gold, looking at it on the downside, looking at, looking for a trend to form on the downside. Now, if we take a look at 
longer term on gold. Let's see if I have that available. Flip over here because I just want to give you a little bit of perspective. If I can find it. on this one here we go okay so longer term right gold here's that sort of a channel again defined by these yellow this yellow channel here we had a reaction you know we, so we started this thing down in here right we have a reaction here we have a reaction here and a reaction here and another reaction right here so again gold's at the upper end of its range i mean everybody thinks and gold is it looks like it's building energy to break out to the upside and that all the fundamentals, all the structural stuff in the world would lead us to believe that that's the case. However, gold could come back down and test its lower end of this bracket quite easily, right? So we keep this in mind, and this is why we pay attention to this, you know, this other structure um, right here. So again, this is like looking through a microscope, right? We come in here, we look through a microscope. We know the big picture is gold is ready to break out on the upside long term. But we have this harmonic structure right here that helps guide us, gives us a microscopic view as to what's going on in the market. So if we break below this 19, say basically 2,000, we break below 2,000, 1990 an ounce, we could be starting to set up for right that move, you know, this potential reversal, you know, that would be all the way back down into here, right, that whole space. So that's what we're looking for. If we break below that that zone. We're looking for a potential, you know, it starts to set up the case for a move back down into that that lower channel in the longer term time frame. So with that in mind, we have the dollar is at a significant level, right? It moved back up into its breakout zone, right? Gold is now testing a pretty significant level is $2,000 an ounce, right? We have a perspective of the stock market, right? The Nikkei, the DAX, both up against it, right? Probably going to have to do something miraculous to break through on the upside. Okay. And then we have the, um, the U.S. stock market, right? It, it, we know that it's in a similar situation to the Nikkei index. If it, if it finishes, right, this upside harmonic, right, which we're going to keep tracking every single day, if it hits that level, then that could be a point where the markets are exhausted, right? And maybe, and how does that fit in the context of everything? Well, that's why we cover the potential war, right? What would war do to these markets, right? It would potentially drive the dollar up in a flight to quality. That would cause the stock market to potentially sell off. That would cause bond markets to potentially rise. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on the debt situation. So why we introduce this war is so we can start thinking about it. What are the hot spots? How does it tie in with markets, right? What would be the markets that were greatly impacted? And one, just one quick last market. Let's take a look at, um, let's, take a quick look at natural gas and then we'll wrap it up. I just want to take one quick peek at this. So this is a natural gas. This ties back into Nord Stream 2. This ties back into Poland, right? Their need for natural gas, their feedstock energy. There's also an issue with um, fertilizers, right? Natural gas is needed heavily in Europe, right? BASF is a big one that, that uses a lot of natural gas to create fertilizers. Without fertilizers, food production goes dramatically down half to a third potentially. So if this natural gas, not only is it for industrial purposes, not only is it for heating homes, not, not only is it for that, but it's also a huge uh, feedstock for creating fertilizers. So if we see natural gas, you know, good thing is natural gas is down, so it hasn't been hurting Europe, but 
if we well, watch this natural gas because natural gas tends to react to um, events like this, right? A, a war type of a situation, it should give us a little bit of a leading indicator as to what's going on in that region, right? Because we know that that's a significant component of that region, right? That, that guiding this thing again, right? That, that was the Nord Stream pipeline feeding into there. We know that this whole area, right? Poland, Ukraine, there's a lot of energy that transfers across that line, right? Um, and with that in mind, you know, natural gas is one of those things, maybe one of the primary things that, that transfers across that space. That's why we look at that and that's how we're gonna put it in the markets. And so with that, um, let's just take one quick look again at the economic data and then we'll wrap things up. So we have, um, Again, today here at about five minutes, we have the, um, let's see, actually not today. Um, let's see, we have, that comes through at 10 o'clock, I do believe. Let me take a look here. On Thursday, 8.30. Okay, so the only thing today at 8.30 is unemployment claims. Um, they're expected to come in at 206,000. Um, I don't really see anything major happening here. Um, I would stay on, but we've probably been on, we've been on for an hour and basically an hour and a half. So I don't see any reason to stay on for unemployment claims. Normally we would, you do get building permits at that point in time. For those of you who want to follow more on this, I, I'm going to finally complete part two of my housing, um, analysis in market ultra and give you the number for that for anybody who wants to join up and go into ultra all you have to do is text ultra to 1-844-837-5132 again that's ultra to 844-837-5132 and with that the um i'm going to do a housing part two of my housing and finish that up it looks like existing housing market is starting to show signs of a topping pattern and that would be significant for the US economy if we start to see that because housing prices feed a lot of people's sentiment, right? So people's how if their homes are going up in value, you know, stock markets going up in value, houses are going up in value, right? They can offset a lot of the other things that are going on, the inflationary forces and so forth. Um, so with that, we'll wrap it up and um, we'll pick it up tomorrow with the World Economic Forum and I hope everyone has a great day. And for those of you out there trading, good luck and good trading. Thank you. I am not frightened of these people. I, I've spent my life serving others and, and I love my country. This thing is not going to just slip away. They're not going to take us without a fight. I'm going to fight legally and peacefully and within the parameters of the Constitution that I've sworn to serve. But they're going down. These, these men and their high perch and their, their position of power and authority and a walking upon our entire history, our deepest core principles. They're not.
Carnegie. Order now. They're truly the best final sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. I am not frightened of these people. I, I've spent my life serving others, and, and I love my country. This thing is not going to just slip away. They're not going to take us without a fight. I'm going to fight legally and peacefully and within the parameters of the Constitution that I've sworn to serve. But they're going down. These these men and their high perch and their their position of power and authority and are walking upon our entire history, our deepest core principles. They're not gonna get away with it. They have so far. We'll see powerful people in this country. They want to make sure no one hears your, your voice. They want everyone to look at you like a far-right, crazy conspiracy theorist. Is that who you are? No, man. I'm a regular American man. I'm an investigator, police officer by background. I'm going to continue to speak the truth, whether anybody likes it or not. You've always been controversial. And even when you were in law enforcement, you did those uh, Crime Stopper videos that went viral. People loved them. You got a lot of heat for them, too. The Gremlin Street Gang is responsible for hundreds of violent crimes, murders, armed robberies, witness intimidation, burglaries, drug trafficking, extortion, and brutal beatings. We've arrested 10 of these thugs and have warrants on seven more. You will be hunted. You will be tracked. And if you raise your weapon to a man like me, we'll return fire with superior fire. Darren Carter. You think men like these are afraid? Previously on the Pete Santilli Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be an intense topic, okay? Mm. And we can't just come around right the gates and talk about it, but I'm going to tell you something right now. That segment with Tucker Carlson is proof. All right, so we have a market update here. We just got our economic data for the day, uh, Thursday, January 18th. We had, uh, in the U.S., we had unemployment claims come out. It was 187,000, so it was below the 206,000 expected. And we had building permits come in at 1.5 million versus the 1.57 million expected. So let's break this down real quickly. So the unemployment claims at 187 is lower, right? That's good for us, the people, right? less people are filing for unemployment claims. 
However, this also delays, right? This puts more pressure on the Federal Reserve to not start cutting rates, right? So what is that going to do? It's a negative reaction across markets right now. So we flip over, I'll take a quick look at the S&P 500. Um, so again, we saw, we were just talking in the market, in our market ultra segment, you know, we went from this right here, this halfway harmonic, right? We bounced up to the five eights and look where we stopped. We stopped right, let me blow this up for you so you can see it. Okay, so here we were, we pierced this halfway just a little bit. There we go, it looks like you can see that now. So we, let me clear this out. Um, all right, so you can see this right here. We just basically hit this halfway harmonic from the upside. So we're coming back down into it. Okay, this is positive, right? This is a positive bounce. We hit this, okay, and then we we went right back up to the five eight level so we're just bouncing around in here okay so this is going to put a little bit of pressure on the market it's going to have a hard time popping through there today with this with this economic data how long will this last looks like the market's already digested it i can see it in the dollar right if we flip over the dollar right the dollar went back down below its breakout level and now it's starting to push back up into there probably hard to see but let me blow that up for you so you can see we're up inside this breakout zone. And right here is the level, right? Right there is where the market sits right now. Okay, it might be a little bit hard to see, but that the spot right in here. I'll also throw a little line on here for you. Um, so right about there is where the market sits. And there you go. I'll put it in blue so you can differentiate it. Okay, so that's where we sit right there. And what we're going to look for is this. Can this thing climb above this prior high? Right, so can it climb above this prior high right here? And that that's going to be a big deal for us. If, if the dollar can climb above this level, break this white dashed line, then that's going to be a game changer, right? That basically think of that as, you know, uh, the tipping point, right? So if we can climb above that, that's a tipping point. And we start to look for moves to the upside, right? Further movement to the upside. And so that's a dollar. That's the reaction off the news. It looks like it's already absorbed it. I can see from some other markets, basically it's already absorbed the unemployment claims and building permits. Today, it, um, and actually, we did get Philly Fed. That was an 830 number. So it was minus 10.6. Um, minus 10.6 in the Philly Fed. Let me just cover that real quickly. Okay, so that was below expectations. Again, that's a weak number. So what is that gonna what does that do? I mean, that is that's gonna play into the hands of the Fed cutting the rates, right? So we basically have a mixed bag. Unemployment claims come in better than expected, meaning lower number, you know, hard for them to cut rates, right? Not, not signs of a weakening economy, right? People are, less people are unemployed, so therefore a stronger economy, harder for them to do that. If we look at Philly Fed, it's a weaker than expected number. That's gonna paint a picture for them. So that's basically what the market's dealing with right now is the, those two numbers. And so ultimately we're right back to where we started before the number, not much of an impact as I, sort of expected. The, um, the big one of the week, so we have some Fed speakers the rest of the day. We had member Bostic will speak, Fed member Bostic. 
We have crude oil inventories later today. We have natural gas numbers at 1030. A um, little bit of data coming out of Japan tonight. And then um, tomorrow we have University of Michigan sentiment and that'll wrap up the week. So the big thing to watch the rest of this week, tomorrow uh, University of Michigan sentiment will be on to cover that. And then the uh, World Economic Forum, which is what we're gonna dig into tomorrow, we'll do a, a deep dive on, the, on what's going on the World Economic Forum and roll that over to Monday. And with that, we'll go back to uh, regular programming. Thank you. Way with it. They have so far. We'll see. Powerful people in this country, they want to make sure no one hears your, your voice. They want everyone to look at you like a far-right, crazy conspiracy theorist. Is that who you are? No, man. I'm a regular American man. I'm an investigator, police officer by background. I'm going to continue to speak the truth, whether anybody likes it or not. You've always been controversial. I mean, even when you were in law enforcement, you did those uh, Crime Stopper videos that went viral. People loved them. You got a lot of heat for them too. The Gremlin Street Gang is responsible for hundreds of violent crimes, murders, armed robberies, witness intimidation, burglaries, drug trafficking, extortion, and brutal beatings. We've arrested 10 of these thugs and have warrants on seven more. You will be hunted, you will be tracked, and if you raise your weapon to a man like me, we'll return fire with superior fire. Darren Carter, you think men like these are afraid? Previously, on the Pete Santilli. Mm -hmm. Positive. Yeah. Uh, that, that America has been so dumbed down. Mm -hmm. I mean, so dumbed down. It's, it's amazing that, that Clay Clark, or Clay Clark. <laughs> Clay, it's amazing that Clay Higgins. Mm -hmm. It's like this depravity and the FBI is blah, blah. I'm like, mm -hmm. hold on a second. Let me open up my manual. Let me tell yeah. you my legal cases. Okay, all the way back to 2014, there were FBI agents that showed up in Bunkerville, Nevada. They went to the local pawn shop and picked up an old pair of cowboy boots and, <laughs> and, and got dressed up and went and put up flags yeah. and ran a influence operation months in advance of the April 12th. And it's not, it wasn't a standoff either, but we'll get right. into that. It wasn't a standoff. It was literally a influence operation. Well, American two of the bigger banks are going to come out. They're going to start off the earnings season on Friday. So are the markets already starting to anticipate that, right? You know, what are the markets anticipating? You can get lost in the you can get lost in the weeds if you're trying to understand everything. You can't understand it all. It's impossible. There's too many factors, too many variables, and so forth. So that doesn't mean it's hopeless. What it means is we have to use some other tool that's reliable, and that comes back to these structures, these mnemonics that, that help us sort through those, help us sift through the weeds and the muck. Are you hearing any grumblings? Are they concerned about uh, 
election manipulation and fraud. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some reports of you know China using AI and naval technologies. A lot of it is also just uh, uh, manipulation of social media uh, and China using TikTok and and other social media to send a pro-China message. Now they they kind of learned because in 2020 they were very hawkish toward Taiwan, which really drove the election and it was a strong TPP victory. Um, and, uh, you know, they, 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 they passed a national security law in uh, December of 2019. The election was in January 2020. Uh, the national security law forbade anybody from taking foreign money in regards to election, which allowed them to arrest a bunch of folks at the KMT who were dirty and taking money from the mainland. So, uh, so they really dominated in 2020. This time, China is trying to play a uh, low, uh, lower profile. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, but uh, she just came out with a very, very strong statement. Uh, probably the strongest statement any any uh, president of China has ever made. And it was very aggressive about we will we will take Taiwan uh, soon. And uh, is that what he said? I don't, right out in the open, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, and I mean, it was pretty pretty clear that they, the intent was to unify whether Taiwan wanted to or not. Uh, it's U.S. law that we, we will not allow uh, coercion. We will not allow a forceful takeover. And I think the, the population, I was surprised at the number of older people at the DPP rally who wanted into, who wanted independence. Because I talked to a number of folks and they wanted independence. And this was the older folks, you know, not. Ah, another beautiful moth. What now? I'm a dragon, bro. <laughs> Dude, you're in our airspace again. Can you adjust the knots? I do what I want. Now surrender to Big Daddy China. Okay, guys. Executes Operation Eagle Boost. Yo, Taiwan, bro. What's up? You looking for freedom? Oh, I want to help too, eh? Hey. Spotlight, Canada. Get out of here. Sorry. Now you two leave. I'm in the middle of this sentence. Hey, you China, you big commie bully. What? You call me? I'm gonna fuck you up. Hi, Mike. Want me to prep the emus? Nah, this is gonna take a while. Both of you honkies. Shut up, Canada. I'm so sorry. Oh, what a beautiful... What the f*** is that? Hey, Taiwan. This is China here. Time to come back to Papa, okay? Hello? Australia? I need you, man. China still thinks we belong to them, and they're here to conquer us. Yes. Okay, I'll meet you at the port. I sail as fast as me old Rio can swim, mate. You're a lifesaver. Okay, what did you bring? Well, I brought me trusty boomerang that's blocked from kangaroo and a crocodile that cheese lasers from his mouth. The f Dude, it's China we're talking about! Ah, you suck my battleship! Okay, yeah, that was sick.
，战区空军出动数十架歼击机，持续为台湾海峡与台岛南北两端战巡进逼，依托联合情报支撑，开展巡歼海空歼击、空中封锁演练，构建多项围岛锁台态势。在任务空域，多批多架挂载实弹的轰六 K 战机，在预警机、歼击机、干扰机的支援掩护下，对台岛重要目标实施多波次。In a recent press interview, President Joe Biden confirmed that United States men and women would fight to defend Taiwan from a Chinese invasion. This prompted immediate outrage from China, who claimed the U.S. was violating its own One China policy. In response, President Biden ordered U.S. and Canadian warships to sail through the Taiwan Strait. For decades, the U.S. operated under a strategic ambiguity in regards to Taiwan, never truly committing to its defense, but strongly hinting that it would oppose a Chinese invasion with military force of its own. This had served. Served as a diplomatic lubricant between the U.S. and China, as China sees reunification with Taiwan as a matter of not just national pride but of survival for the Chinese Communist Party. A free and independent Taiwan is a direct affront to Chinese attempts to become a global superpower, something it has yet to achieve. If the nation can't neutralize one renegade province right off its own shores, it'll never be able to be a credible global power. For the CCP, Taiwan's democracy is an existential threat on their own grip on Chinese power. Now, President Biden. Biden has said the quiet part out loud, and China can expect to face U.S. forces if it attempts to invade Taiwan. But just what would the U.S. do in case of an invasion? A Chinese invasion of Taiwan could only take place during the two or three-week window in either spring or fall, when the tides are favorable. Chinese forces could also only land on a limited number of beaches suitable for the offloading of infantry and vehicles, and all of these are highly defended and booby-trapped in advance. Further, an invasion would take months to prepare, giving Taiwan ample warning and. Allowing its navy time to mine the Taiwan Strait, it would be the most costly military operation in terms of life and resources since the great battles of World War II. And even without the U.S. aid, China is unlikely to succeed. Despite you walk into this room at your own risk, because it leads to the future—not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements, technological advances, and a more sophisticated approach to the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the superstates that preceded it, it has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy, and truth is a menace. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man—that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for mankind in the Twilight Zone.
And good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Get your coffee in hand. Uh, and I'm going to discombobulate you this morning. I was saying yesterday, uh, our show format going into uh, 2024, uh, covering our top news headlines right out of the gates, and then also keeping an eye on the financial markets and uh, with Craig Winklewitz uh, covering data uh, coming at 8.30 a.m. or so, morning bell uh, this morning. Uh, before I get I get started here and bring um, Dr. Uh, Kirk on as well as Craig Winklewitz, let me tell you what we have in in store today. Um, let's go to this right now. Big news. I'm going to uh, tell you what the agenda is today, uh, but big news regarding Taiwan. Big, and you'll see that the the bioweapons. Uh, lab that they have out there, level, level four. I stumbled into this. Last night I had Dr. Uh, Judy uh, Mikovits on, and that basically produced an explosion of new information. Uh, Biden, complicit in trafficking. Wait till you hear a congresswoman uh, that laid that out. Uh, we're also going to identify that Speaker Johnson, he's just McCarthy. Uh, 2.0, absolute disgusting display of hijacking the speakership and just giving the Democrats what they want and handing the FBI, um, which, by the way, covered up the Clinton-Epstein pedophilia. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was difficult to say that. Um, absolutely difficult to say that. Mm. Wow. Let's see. Let me just check something real quick because our last, and please tell me that we, oh, we got a little technical glitch here. Stand by. Hold on one second, folks. Uh, I will take care of it. Now I'm going to bring Dr. Kirk on um, and Craig Winklewitz, but just give me just one second because we have a little minor technical glitch that I'll fix right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Stand by. So our top news headline, uh, we're going to dig into Taiwan's. Uh, it's actually a level four, uh, and that is a level four. That's the highest level uh, bioweapons lab out there in, um, in Taiwan, and it has a lot to do with, with what um, uh, Winnie the Pooh, the, um, the head of China's CCP, why he wants to go take over Taiwan, I'm sure, in the same fashion that uh, Vladimir Putin um, uh, shut down the 15 labs um, out there in Ukraine. All right, so let's get to it. Um, gentlemen, good morning and welcome. Welcome. A lot of, uh, you know, let's work the bottom up of our uh, top news headlines. Debt, um, Biden's debt up $6.2 trillion dollars under Biden. Can I, and Dr. Kirk, good morning to you. Craig, good morning to you. Um, let me tell you what my initial reaction was when I saw that. So all this money and I see Johnson, they're distributing all this. How much of this stuff ever makes it to your wallets? Trillions. Uh, or less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, Pete, if you look at the money that they're printing for all this stuff is 6.2 trillion. 
you have to reconcile that with the M2 money supply. M2 money supply is checking accounts, savings accounts, money markets. That's actually in decline. You know, they've taken about uh, pushing, I'd have to look, 700, $800 billion out of M2 money supply in the last 12 months. I mean, that's a lot, right? So that's not hitting the public. It's actually not even staying the same. It's it's leaving probably in preparation for a central bank digital currency because you can't have paper dollars and digital dollars at the same time because they're going to compete with each other. You know, uh, Craig, $6.2 trillion. What if I were to mail you a check for a hundred grand? Would that be a lot of money in your household in Ohio? Sure. Yeah, yeah that goes a long way in the I, Midwest. You, well, less than it did, but still fair way. Fair, fair. If you, and I, I'm not one to do the graphical pictorials, but imagine you, we could literally ship um, you guys, me, a couple of our friends, hundred thousand dollar checks every single day for the next 50 years and not even scratch the surface of 6.2 trillion isn't that true i mean it's that much yeah and you just you know you have to question where does it all go right i mean there's no accountability you know we've had you know the accounting boards are supposed to be there to, to look after this stuff department of defense loses money like crazy i mean there's just no accountability anywhere and uh, so where does that money go you know i can remember back you know when i was a kid you would hear the stories of the 800 dollars hammer or the two thousand dollar toilet you know that's going into the government facilities and it's only gotten worse right i mean it's just we don't even hear that anymore it's just you know billions and trillions just disappearing so i don't know where it goes and and uh dr kirk and i we we've talked about what percentage of you know our income is going towards paying the national debt. So a large portion of the money that's being moved around is just to pay interest on the debt that we've accrued, isn't there? Well, if you look at Biden's 2024 budget, it's it's pushing a trillion dollars. I think it just surpassed a trillion. Well, we bring in $4.7 trillion a year. So a trillion in interest only payments on a 4.7 trillion dollar income basis we're well over 20 percent mm -hmm. of our entire income goes to interest payments and what makes this even creepier uh you know craig just brought up the the defense department right so so our defense budget is like 880 billion dollars a year we're paying more in interest only payments than to, to actually fund our entire defense department to protect our country. <laughs> it's insane, mm. right? It's like, this is where the debt spiral has got out of control. But Pete mm. and Craig, I remember back to, man, this is a long time ago, maybe 2007-ish, 2006. And I was watching the, the debt to GDP ratio, even back then. And we had gotten to about 80%, 80% of our total GDP was now our, our debt, right? So, so you look at it now and our debt has surpassed gross domestic product. We're at 123%. Well, why this is important is, you know, looking throughout history, 100% of the time, if, if you were a gambler going to Vegas, and the, and the odds were 100% of the time you're going to lose. Just don't go, Pete. Don't go, right? right so 100% right. so of the time when a country's debt 
equals its GDP, there's some kind of a systemic change, right? Either they move from a democracy to a dictatorship, a dictatorship to a democracy. There's a currency change like Venezuela, Argentina, Zimbabwe, whatever. But it's but it's like this pendulum shifting moment that a country never, ever, ever recovers from, ever. And And if you think about it, put it down to the family level. Let's say that your debt was more than your income. All right, years of that, you're going to just have to file bankruptcy. You're going to have to look to your spouse and say, "Honey, I'm I'm stupid. We uh we spent way more than than what we earned. We we have to file for bankruptcy." Well, here's the thing: what's true for an individual is true for a country, right? This is why when we've got more debt than we've got income, productivity, gross domestic product, the country will go bankrupt, right? So so here's where it gets even worse. Last week. The IMF came out with their projection by 2028, 100%, again, bad odds here, 100% of every country in the world, their debt is going to surpass their gross domestic product. So it's unsustainable moving forward. The world has to go bankrupt, right? It's like, how does the world go bankrupt, right? So, well, they just simply can't pay off their debts. They have to have a change. Right. So what's the change? The change is simply how about central bank digital currency? How about we reset the fiat based money creation of of the Federal Reserve and and the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan and every central bank around the world and go with something different? See, this is the the big mask that they're saying we're going to have this digital currency that's completely transparent that we can actually control better. Than, than people using fiat, you know, private money for money laundering and human trafficking and drug trafficking and everything else. I mean, that's their narrative. That's the story. But the ugly reality is unified ledgers. Like I just saw this documentary that, that you all would love called the like the great taking, right? It's like, oh my word, they changed everything. Mm everything i mean craig i don't know if you if you saw you know kind of the the legislation that happened and so forth in 2008 2009 after the big recession slash depression that we had they changed ownership at the banks of people's assets so you think that your checking account your savings accounts yours no not anymore not since 2009, it became you became a beneficial owner, which means you transferred ownership to the banks, and now they'll let you use your money if they want you to use your money, if they have it, because the derivatives debt spiral exploded when Lehman Brothers went down and all these other companies went down and all these banks and financial institutions. And so how do you pay for that? Well, well, let's not pay for it. Let's have the depositors pay for it because we just changed how bankruptcy looks for financial institutions in America. And we changed ownership to the banks. Now the depositors are beneficial owners is what it looks like. Meaning eh, if we want you to have your money, we'll let you have it. You, you gave up your ownership to us too bad. So sad, right? I mean, this is the world that we're living in where now it makes sense when stinking Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum says, you're going to own nothing and like it. Oh, no, we rephrase that. You didn't hear. Uh, we need to get you up to speed. Uh, we're going to steal from you. And if you try to stop us, we'll <laughs> shoot you. Okay. 
Well, yeah. that's actually a better interpretation. Yeah, um, but they're literally, you know, the uh, we, we've been talking about these natural asset corporations that they're forming. They're literally going to lo- just uh, what, what is you know what rehypothecation is is. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, they don't own it. They, we own the property. We own $170 trillion in natural resources wealth. They're adding value by saying the air, the water, and you know the easements uh, have value. And for uh, uh, climate change, we're going to assess the value and trade it on the New York Stock Exchange. They own none of it, but they're going to profit off or, uh, through every bit of it. Don't dare try to stop them from doing that. You know, the Bureau of Land Management... You know, uh, they have restrictions constitutionally from uh, trading on our property or value in our property. With these corporations, you're not going to be able to stop them. You're not going to be able to stop them. They're going to say, I have entitlement. I'll be able to, you know, uh, to, to own the air over your home. Um, but if you try to stop them, they will literally use their armies to, to get you off the land. They've been doing it like they've been doing to the ranchers for many, many decades. Um, you know, uh, let me let me ask you something. This is, uh, we're in a scenario now, the United States of America has accrued so much death. I was speaking of documentaries, I watched a documentary talking about the Rothschilds and they highlighted, you know, how they were acquiring their wealth. They said, remarkably, you know, England had made it through, you know, 10 years of war and didn't go bankrupt. And I was like, I'm like, should we really be like super bankrupt? I mean, decades and we've been financing wars. We're the ones with the highest debt. Um, it is unsustainable. Is it, not, is it not, gentlemen? You guys educate me. I don't see that it's sustainable. Just a war yeah. side along. War yeah, and to, and to put it in perspective, you know, um, Dr. Kirk brings up a good point. You know, he goes back to 2008 and talks about the changes that took place in the banking area. You go back to, you know, 9-11 and the changes that took place with, you know, freedoms that got taken, right? The Homeland Security, all these things get set up again, back to what we first talked about, where's the money going, right? So we get these money drains. I think a lot of that came after 2000 and, you know, after the 9-11, Right, because a lot of things change structurally. Then after 2007, 2008, the real estate crisis, again, just like Dr. Kirk was saying, a lot of things change structurally. And then you look at COVID, right? Last false flag, and you get a lot of things again that are changing, you know, structurally. And so these big false flags are big turning points, you know, which I think most of us are aware of. But, you know, and then you talk about the bioweapons labs, right? So now we know that that's a money funnel, right? We see these, you know, the Vatican Bank, we see how that's a money funnel right so we see all these these funnels where the money's going and we look at these false flag events and we see the changes that take place in the aftermath of them and i think that's how we can start to put it in perspective of these big big events and so the question is you know they're starting to come more rapidly what's coming this year right that's the big question what's coming now because we have this big election this big you know brick wall we're coming up against where you know somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose how are they going to how are they going to rig that game as we go into this that that's the big question in my mind this is a big year yeah uh, i just need to fiddle and fiddle um right now we are i, I mean uh, guys i know you, you're not in the business of predicting uh but 
I mean, you, you can look down at the stick of dynamite that's underneath, you know, your, that you're sitting on and see that the fuse is being lit. So we're not going to predict when it's going to go off, but we can pretty much see, you know, the fuse is lit and it's it's common. You can try to calculate when the thing's going to going to set off, but we're not jumping off the dynamite. We're sitting on a powder keg of debt, right? Yeah, I mean, explode. It, this just becomes totally weird and bizarre really quick. So, so we've been able to amass $34 trillion of debt as a country because we're the reserve currency of the world, right? We were the petrodollar, all oil settlements, all international settlements traded in U.S. dollars, built in demand for our currency, whether we wanted it or not, because other countries were doing stuff, right? So, mm -hmm. so now... Here's where I'm not, I'm truly not in the, in the world of predicting, but there's stuff happening on a timeline that's actually happening right underneath our nose. Right? So, so January 1st, what was that? What? Eight days ago, the BRICS nations, you know, which they set in motion on August 22nd through 24th of 2023, when Putin said they were going to de-dollarize the world, how, how could they do that? Well, they added Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates back in August. Now they added Egypt, Ethiopia, Argentina, Iran. It's like Iran into the BRICS nation. So what has Iran been doing since then? Well, they're flexing big and they're saying, hey, OPEC, you got to cut production of oil, right? Because that's going to cause the price to go up. Why would they want that? If price of oil goes up, then people are going to spend less when they're tapped out, right? No. They're going to spend about the same on oil because everything in the world that we use basically is oil, whether it's plastics or rubber tires on electric vehicles or you're heating your home or car driving or and flying, right? Everything uses oil. So, so who's the recipient? The oil producers. Who are now the oil producers? Six of the nine largest ones in the world are part of the BRICS nations, right? So, so here's where this is going to be a net benefit to them a net drain on the United States and, and Europe because we're not stinking oil independent. We're dependent on foreign oil, which is them, right? So when one fell swoop, they dismantled the petrodollar. They dismantled demand for the U.S. dollar, which means they're going to have to print money like there's no tomorrow to fund the debt ceiling talks, which are coming up again real soon, to fund, oh, Social Security, Medicare, which are very underfunded, right? They're they're undercapitalized. In a, in a world where we we talk about all this global debt, Pete and Craig, it's like tons of it. You know, the the IMF came out last week with their numbers for 2023. The total government debt globally is 97.1 trillion. 97.1. So what's America's debt? 34 trillion. It's like nuts. We're like 35% of all global debt in one country. And we could manage that when we're the reserve currency of the world and we had built in demand for our currency. We can't manage that anymore because the, the, the reserve currency just changed to the BRICS nations for all intents and purposes. Like Love not that. completely, but the BRICS nations comprise at least Here's, somewhere between 50 and 70% of the world's population. Here's that's a, a big trading block that's no longer going to be using the dollar for oil settlement. This is a big deal. And we can't sustain that debt, which means 
to further, you know, the conversation that Craig and I were having, systemic change. They've got to change the monetary order of the world. And sadly, it's not going to be us. I mean, that's the sad reality. No, and look at that visual representation, everybody, uh, of what Dr. Kirk just said. The United States is right here. I mean, um, you know, if, if we were, if this were a soccer ball, you know, we'd have almost half of it, would, wouldn't we, of the total uh, global debt. And interestingly enough, at the bottom of the article uh, on Natural News, uh, Mike Adams write the, 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 writes the fuse is on a slow burn, but at some point uh, the debt powder keg will absolutely blow. Now, um, Craig, how is the U.S. dollar doing? And by the way, at 8.30, is this that, that moment in time where uh, the, the data uh, drops in? Uh, so two-part question. Your data hits right at about 8.30? Yeah, most of the economic data comes through at 8.30. Um, mm -hmm. we, um, today, we don't have a lot of data. Early in the week, we're, we're light-loaded to the front end of the week. Later in the week, we get Thursday, we get U.S. CPI. Um, we get a lot of CPI data. Tokyo had CPI data come out um, yesterday. Mm -hmm. Tonight, we'll get Australian CPI. Uh, Thursday, we're going to get U.S. CPI. And then Friday, we'll get... Uh, U.S. purchasing managers and or producer price index, and then Thursday night actually we'll also get China PPI or China CPI, which is which isn't you know it's hard to know if we can trust that or not. <clears throat> so again, we throw China into the mix and we throw you know that whole equation in there because we haven't talked much about China and and this transfer that Dr. Kurtz referring to. You know where is this transfer of of you know the new currency and so forth? But taking it back to the dollar, the, the dollar is. You know, in my opinion, right, like the dollar has taken a hit this year, right? End of last year, we had a nice had a nice move up through, you know, March, April of last year into say August, September. And that was against everybody who was saying the dollar was going down. And then we get into, you know, the Fed pivot and we get into the CPI data. Between the CPI and the Fed, you know, we had two huge hits to the dollar, right? So back down, you know, about a six, seven, eight percent hit to the dollar. Right now, the dollars, as far as I'm concerned, if we break a dollar on the dollar basket, you know, 100, then we start to look at the dollars being problematic from a technical quantitative standpoint. If we start to break 95, we've got real problems. So those are my key points that I'm looking at to, to, you know, for the dollar. And so again, we get, you know, we get the CPI date on Thursday. Is the dollar going to get another hit to it, right? Are we going to start to pierce that hundred on the dollar basket? Because right now the dollar is hovering right around, I don't know, what, what are we at? 102 or something like that. So it's, um, you know, right around 102, 14. So again, the big, a big level, you know, from the harmonics that I look at, 99.81 would be a big level for us to get to in the dollar. There's a lot of things that are kind of stranded right now. The dollar's stranded, the metals are stranded, the bond market's stranded, a lot of currency markets are crude oil stranded. There's a lot of markets right now we don't have a lot to lean against. So, you know, we're looking for something here to, to, to complete a harmonic so we have something to lean against. You know, silver would be one that would be nice to see it lean against. The dollar might be one. If we got 99.81, what happens at 99.81? Does it break it? Or does it hold there? That would be a significant thing for my world is to give us a benchmark is, you know, so when Dr. Kirk's saying, if we break 99.81, I'm totally in his camp, right? We break 95, 
you know, we start to, we start to really get in that champ of the dollars cooked, you know, I mean, we're at that point, you know, now I can make a case for the other side. That's what I always try to do is making a case for why the dollar could go up as well. I know it's hard. It's getting harder to do that, but there is a case to be made, you know, and so we could cover that at some point if we want, but. You know, we've been watching the uh, mass purchases country, central banks buying up gold. All right. Another thing I'm looking at just from a novice's perspective is what, uh, where, where are they buying, but not buying, making purchases, but basically taking, getting away from cash, Dr. Kirk, and buying stuff. You know what I see that as, especially as they know that the monetary system is collapsing, like coming up with a new one. I call it conversion. Uh, they're moving away from what they know is going to be a tremendous loss. And you can lock it like you buy some dirt, you buy some land that's going to maintain its value. You know, outside of like gold and silver making big purchases by central banks of, of gold. Uh, do you look at that? I mean, is it conversion or is it like, for instance, Bitcoin? Oh, man, Bitcoin's exploding. And they're out there saying, there's a lot of chatter out there saying, oh, yeah, with the downfall of the dollar, there's an increase in the, you know, stupid moves with Boeing. I don't see it that way. I don't trust that, that upswing there. I see it as a potential way to steal from us, right? Well, you don't know who owns Bitcoin for crying out loud. And so, so the funny thing about it, Bitcoin is you've got BlackRock. By the way, can I just interject real, real quick? It's not anonymous. It's not, I mean, somebody can control that thing. Everybody sees the ledger. You have access to it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you, you look at it and BlackRock is wanting to start a, a crypto, basically Bitcoin ETF, right? So it's going to the SEC for a vote. I mean, this is, to me, this is just supply and demand. It, it's, I don't know if it has much to do with the dollar. I think it's just, wow, you're going to have an ETF. So every 401k IRA on the planet can now invest into cryptocurrency through a paper version of it, which, which before you had to get some kind of a weird coin wallet and it was illiquid and you couldn't get, get out of it. And I mean, it's easy to cut people off from buying or selling when it's digital, like they did with the Russians, right? So CoinWallet, um, Coinbase actually said, hey, anybody who has a Russian IP address, you can't get your cryptocurrency. It's like, what? And people said, yay, good job, Coinbase. This is awesome. You're sticking it to the Russians, right? Well, put expand the story. What if it's Christians? It's like, what if we don't like the church that you give to? We're not going to let you do Or what if we don't like the gas guzzling truck that you're putting gas into? I was like, well, we're not going to let you access it either. Or what if they don't like it that you donated to the, uh, to the Trump campaign or any campaign that's against what their globalist agenda is? Well, then they, they cut you off from there too. So, so don't take it as like, this is a, a victory because we cut the Russians off from their money on, on Coinbase and all their cryptocurrency wallets. It's like, this isn't an, an attack on our freedom, right? Which is, which is why the central banks of the world are actually getting rid of paper currency. They're just getting rid of it, right? Our M2 money supply is going away. Um, in exchange for something digital, that's really, really, really easy guys to cut you off from buying or selling if they don't like you, especially when, when you look at that legislation from 08, where they changed the ownership from them, from you to them, right? So they could get rid of it when they want to couple that with the bill 
or not, it's not a bill. It's like an administrative ruling from the Bank for International Settlements in 2023, where they unleashed their stupid unified ledger. I mean, good grief. The unified ledger is tokenization of all of your assets, stocks, bonds, real estate, mutual funds, cash, all of that into one packet where they can say, hey, let's change the ownership on it. Why do we have precedent? Because it was passed into law in the United States in 2008 after the big crisis, right, where, where they changed the, the rules for bankruptcy for financial institutions to protect them not to protect us yeah. it was to protect them yeah. from from massive massive derivatives exposure and losses they put it on us which is the same kind of thinking of a bail-in tax right yeah. so that's the same methodology behind a bail-in tax instead of a bailout where the government you know basically buys everybody out no they're still buying them out but it's with us, with our taxpayer dollars, with our deposits. I mean, because yeah, it's our institutions, right? It's our bank. We have we have a vested interest in making sure that J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America, whoever we bank with, stays in business. So therefore, why don't you just do a bail-in tax? Better yet, don't even call it a stinking tax. Just change the law to have you be a beneficial owner so they can take it whenever they want to. That's how insidious this whole problem is. Is is it not, uh, and either of you could um, uh, could answer this, I don't like picking on, you know, like, uh, for instance, the jobs producers that become a billionaire. I mean, I'm all about, you know, that level of, I'm talking about the upper echelon where there's five families. One example, they always make a decision. Oh my goodness, we're going to go ahead and create an auto industry, right? Although we've got a lot of horses and buggies, we've created an auto industry. Well, not everybody can create an auto industry. Uh, where did all the horses go? You know, and we had no choice. I mean, seriously, think about it. How we they created the auto industry, mass produced it, uh, you know, and and through war. And then uh, I want to know, Craig, where did the, all the horses go? And who made the decision to wipe that entire thing out? And we're left holding the bag, right? I mean, you see, I mean, you can use that analogy. I'm, you know, I use a lot of analogies, but these are the cartoons that I have in my head. I'm like, where did all the freaking horses go? We had, we were a horse and buggy one minute and somebody came up with a great idea to mass produce, which is awesome. It's a very innovative, but they're the ones that are doing the same thing, uh, like AI technology, so on and so forth. The select few at the top say, oh, we're going this way. Here we go. And we're down here, left holding the bag. Yeah. Well, and that's the appeal to cryptocurrency, right? Is that, you know, it basically fractures the banking system, theoretically, right? And, but I'm kind of in the camp with Dr. Kirk in the sense of, you know, governments can regulate cryptocurrency, whether we, think so or not, you know, they can come down, they can, it can be militarily controlled. It can be economically controlled in some fashion it, because it's right to be able, it's on the platform where that can happen. Now you can store it offline. You know, there's a lot, of, I, I understand all that. The beauty of gold and silver is you can physically hold it, right? You can hang on to it. You can touch it. You can hold it. It's been a store of value for a long time. The big thing I'd like to ask Dr. Kirk is, you know, at this point in time, you know, going into 2024, you know, as we we could be facing another false flag, we could be facing, you know, election turmoil, you know, global unrest, you know, no matter which way it, it goes, right, whether it goes in the camp of, you know, the conservative or, you know, the liberal or, you know, and, and let's even forget about the whole political 
two sides. But where would be a good asset allocation, you know, for silver and gold? Like if someone had a hundred thousand dollars, you know, I wouldn't say I would you probably wouldn't recommend completely dropping, you know, bonds and stocks, you know, but where would be an allocation? What would that look like for you guys? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. Everybody's different and I'm, I'll answer that, but I'm still thinking about Pete's question of where did I'll, what, what about the horses? <laughs> so, yeah. so John, John Rich, you remember the, you guys remember the, Pete, uh, let's see, John Rich with Big and Rich. He wrote that song, save a horse and ride a cowboy. It's all yeah. I could think about. All right. When you were saying that, it's like, well, you got to save a horse, just ride the cowboy, right? So anyways. But isn't that a good question? But the, the, the point is, who made that decision? It's a very small group of people, right, that, that made that decision and said, oh, my goodness, well, this thing's falling apart. Well, whose fault is it that it fell apart? And can we be a little bit more yeah. or less volatile in our transition to your new system? You know? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, in, in answering Craig's question, it's those same people that kind of tell us what we should do, right? So, you, for example, you look at what Warren Buffett did a few weeks ago. He sold $27 billion of his own stock, right? He's just sitting in cash. And why? Because he doesn't see that there's a good outcome here for the, for the markets. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just getting out of Dodge. And his own CFO and the own people of his own company said, well, yeah, we're getting out. The stock market's at like these extreme valuations right now. We want to buy low and sell high. We're going to get out and we're gonna, just going to sit in cash. I wouldn't sit in that much cash. I mean, good grief, that's a lot of cash when banks are failing and they're undercapitalized. But he's Warren Buffett. He'll persuade the banks to make sure that he gets his money, even if we don't. Right. Oh, so course, yes. so um, what's he going to do? Well, he's no, no surprise. He's a value based investor. That's he wrote books about this. He likes to buy companies at huge, massive discounts. And then, you know, he's the savior, right? He bought these companies when they couldn't afford to survive. And then he just makes an absolute fortune going forward. So he's expecting a huge collapse. So we look at that and answer Craig's question. It's like, what is a proper allocation? I have very little in the markets like not actually me personally, but this is a question that every individual has to ask themselves. How much income do you need, right? What kind of a diversification mix gives you peace of mind when you put your head down on the pillow at night? So here's, here's a, it's not a rhetorical question, but I've got clients that call in and they're like scared silly. And they say, Kirk, we have to buy silver. We have to buy gold. We have to go into precious metals because I'm afraid that the stock markets are going to collapse. And, and, and I don't know if I'm afraid that my money in the bank isn't going to be there. And I'm just scared, right? This is normal conversation every single day, hundreds of times a day with all of my consultants at my, my firm, right? So, so then we say, well, so how much do you, are you thinking of wanting to position into metals? I don't know. My, my broker told me maybe five or 10% at most. It's like, what? Five or 10%? You're scared silly because you're afraid the markets are going to collapse and you're still going to keep 95% of it over there? Yeah. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, that makes no sense to me. It makes zero sense. So I would over allocate into strength. Right now, I would do silver for, for numerous reasons. And again, it's really hard to answer that question, but I could answer it for me. With my situation, 
I'm 100% in silver. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Now, other people that need income, you can't do that. Silver and gold aren't income producing assets, right? Yeah. So everybody's different and you have to play that. But but if, if for me personally, I'm 100% in silver because nothing else makes sense for, for numerous reasons. A, you've got this move kind of where fiat-based money is becoming more and more worthless globally as they print the living daylights out of it. B, we've got a trillion dollars worth of debt and interest payments on our debt at 34 trillion. So trillion dollars there. You can't cover that with, with current taxes. There's no, you can't raise taxes enough to cover our obligations. I mean, it's, it's we've, we've gone past the point of critical mass. So, so what's left? higher rates for longer is is what's left because if you start to lower rates like what yellen and jerome powell said they're going to do that's like oh we can pause this time and we're going to start cutting rates next year no you can't because you haven't won the war on inflation you you simply can't you can do it once to actually save face and show the world yeah we lowered rates because we said we we're going to do it but they're going to have to raise because inflation keeps persisting, especially with the BRICS nations taking away demand from the dollar, we're gonna to have to print our way out of it. So what does that do? What is the normal policy mechanism for a central bank to slow down inflation? Either A, they stop printing money, nah, that's not gonna happen. They, they need the stimulus money, they need everything because nobody else is funding it. Or B, you raise interest rates to slow down inflation. So. I would go with the with the mantra that we've been hearing lately, higher for longer, right? I think we might get a couple of dinky little rate cuts. It's going to be much higher than what it has been, maybe lower than what it is today by 50 basis points. But it's going to stay at this high level, which is going to pinch everybody. See, this is their catch-22, Craig. If you lower interest rates, inflation is going to skyrocket. If you keep raising interest rates and keep them where they are, you, you create this massive recession. Oof, not a good outcome either way, right? So they're, they're caught. So when they're caught and there's not a good solution, I go with the only solution I know, tangible assets. It's hard to manipulate inventory. Either you have it or you don't. And they tend to go up in times of crisis like what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, I think that gets back to the horses, right? You know, where are the horses? You know, the, the uh, that's where you're putting your horses, you know what I mean? And you know, where's the rest of the world putting their horses, you know, and that's the key, you know, is not so much what the people at the top, that's, you know, we, we're getting out of that paradigm of, you know, everybody's controlling what we are doing as a mass society. I mean, that's part of why this show and other shows like this, you know, where people are trying to figure it out for themselves what does matter. And so instead of, you know, following the electronic vehicle horse or the, you know, these new innovations, you know, the key is probably, we probably are entering a period of time where you got to pull your horses back in the stable a little bit and, you know, and figure out what's right for you, you know, and because if we let the next event, right, the next event could be big. That's, that's the big, that's my big concern is that this year we need to start preparing for that because the event could be big. You know, and 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 that's that's why I asked that question of what is a, a good allocation. It's good to hear 100% silver in some senses. You know, it, 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 you know, like you said, everyone needs to figure it out for themselves. But that that is um, that's interesting. And we're always trying to out outpace them, outrun them. And I'm talking the upper, 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 you know, echelon, of course. 
Uh, they design a new system. I want to read this uh, this this great article actually the the end game and and, and it's this one paragraph as it stated never before has a system benefited so few at the great expense of so many um if this is not inherently unstable and unsustainable um physical control as opposed to rule by deception requires enormous energy um can this be sustained while destroying all economies abusing and abusing all people globally they do not know how to build back better. Look at their footprint around the world. The destruction, the economic uh, devastation. You know, through the wars, uh, this rinse and repeat, and I hear some of these progressives standing at the podium talking about Hegel, you know. They, they will create a crisis uh, so that they can benefit so heavily out of a crisis. Um, wars, look at BlackRock and all of those um, entities that were hovering before the country was was even on its last breath yet they were already talking about rebuilding it right uh, now now you know we're looking at the, the pacific theater but anyways that's a big jumbled pile of questions but very simply put you know uh where what is the new horse AI technology, for instance, they're already talking about, well, you're, you're, everyone's going to be out of a job. There's going to be a shift. And then they're talking about this this new uh, de, what is it, decarbonization or whatever. They're trying to create their own currency, economy, and system, plus AI technology. And again, all the horses will be obsolete, right? Where yeah. do we go? What's the I'm, end game? I'm, and how can we outpace them? Well... You outpace them for me is what what are the commodities? What are the things that they're going to need to accomplish their goal? Right. So if it's solar, if it's solar panels, it's like, OK, that needs silver. If it's fuel cell technology, here's the cool thing. It used to be platinum that was needed in fuel cells. The research has just been finished. Some, I don't know, research university. I can't remember the one said, no, we can now use silver. Right. Good grief. If you are a manufacturer doing fuel cells for like Tesla or all the electric vehicles or whatever, and you needed platinum and now you can exchange it for silver instead of a thousand dollars an ounce, pay twenty five dollars an ounce. What would you choose as a manufacturer? It's like, OK, I'll choose a cheap one. Right. So I think the demand for silver could go up like 10 X. Right. And and with everything that they're doing, everything that they're doing. We can't really stop it, you know, individually, but what we can do is identify what they need, the components that they need to accomplish their goal. Well, we invest in it. Same you reason that and, just amplifies our position. I'm not, just, I'm not investing in it to help them. I'm investing because they're going to try to get their way. I'm investing in silver because it's a great asset. It's a, it's a way to maintain our freedom. You can use it for barter in a worst case scenario, but it, their, their desire to accomplish our goals are going to cause the price to go through the roof. Okay. So, so this is where I distrust, um, like the cryptocurrencies because the natural reaction would be like the central banks, for instance, started buying up a ton tonnage, hundreds of tons of gold, right? What's causing the flight to cryptocurrency and why isn't silver and, and gold at, 
you know, at 10 X, right? Why are they going to cryptocurrency? I don't trust that because you would think that, that this, you know, smart money is on, on hard, you know, physical, uh, gold and silver. Yes. The smart money is. Yeah. That's why central banks are massing it by the thousands of tons. How is right. gold, how is gold doing? Gold was up 17% last year, which is amazing given given the world that we're living in, right? So, and it's only going to get better. I mean, that's like the beginning of a cycle, right? So, when you've got central banks amassing thousands of tons, China has over 5,000 tons. Uh, Russia has a thousand tons. India, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan all have like somewhere between 200 and 600 tons each. They, let's see, who else? United States, our Federal Reserve has 8,500 tons. The European Central Bank has 10,500 tons. We're not talking about ounces or pounds. We're talking about tons. It's a lot, right? So why, to what end? Why are they doing that? Well. Maybe they know that there are two possible reasons. Number one, they're going to central bank digital currency. They want to be the world's reserve currency. And they say, hey, we're backstopping ours with gold because they know that the mass population of the world wants something that's real and tangible. So, hey, their carrots looking pretty nice. Let's invest in theirs. Or they realize that mm, there's going to be massive opposition to what we're bringing with central bank digital currency. So let's have a plan B. Let's back up our currency with gold. We want to be the world's reserve currency, right? So so we, we've talked about this before, Pete. Um, Texas has pending legislation for a state chartered bank backed by gold. You know what, what happened yesterday? Hmm. Oklahoma doing the same thing. Oh, really? Wow. A gold and, gold and silver vault in Oklahoma to match what Texas is wanting to do. It's like, seriously, states are starting to oppose the federal system, FDIC, the FedNow app, the Federal Reserve, say we want something that's tangible, something that's real. We want control, which the founding fathers would be, you know, basically cheering and in their graves, right? Because that's like, this is the, this is federalism the way that we wanted it. If states can do something, then they should. If the states can't do it and it's only you know, the, the federal government can do it, like maybe a national defense and states have no right to do it. So this is federalism. Is banking something that can be done at the state level or does that have to be federal? No, it can be done at the state level. So this is the way that the founding fathers envisioned it is competition of currency, right? So you don't have one big monopoly of currency that has the, the ultimate power to control. That's not good. And doc, Dr. Kirk, we have um, uh, a, a few moments here. Uh, you can. I don't want to speak to the specifics because, you know, the goon squad is going to try to bust us up, of course, cut our phone line so that we don't talk. If there is such a thing, we're wireless, of course. But have I not been pestering you within the past week or so about silver? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you have. Yeah. And, and, and it, because, you know, everyone has to make their own decision, but also you're feeling a level of anxiety. Again, uh, who was it that said it? Was it Craig or, or you, Dr. Kirk, that said, why do you have uh, five, 10% allocation when we're talking about where your money is? 95% of your money is in an area that everybody knows is going to fall apart. It is. So, Increase your allocation, but I want to tell everybody, um, 
not what to do, just share with you um, what I do. See that number across the bottom, 720. Oh, my goodness, I can't see it. It's 605-3900, right? And yep. increase your allocation. And it's actually uh, affordable in units, you know, buying, you know, one full ounce of gold versus one full ounce of silver. It's for everybody, right? I had somebody tell me close to me that said, I'm pulling my 401k. And they made the decision on their own from the conversations that we've had. That's awesome. I mean, this is everybody's individual decision, right? You have to do what's best for you. My recommendation in the world that's falling apart, stop listening to the mainstream media narrative. Mm-hmm. Stop hearing that, oh, Biden's doing great. Bidenomics is awesome. They're creating jobs. They've won the war on inflation. No, they haven't. And no, they haven't. Jobs, the job scenario is is the worst that we've seen. The jo- new job numbers that came out last week, some of the worst ever, right? like a million and a half jobs lost. And so they're not creating jobs. But how would they how would they manipulate it to say that they are, even though they're not easy? Let's say you worked at Honeywell, you're an engineer, make one hundred and fifty grand a year. They lay you off. So then you have to feed your family. So I've got to go work at Taco Bell. I got to work at Wendy's. I got to work at McDonald's working more hours than I worked before. But now my total income is half of what I used to make. They would count that losing one job, gaining three, gaining two plus jobs. Right. But the income is half of what it used to be. So they would call that a, a net result of two jobs being created. In essence, it's 50% of the income that was reduced. I mean, this is bad, right? But this is how they manipulate the numbers. And I don't believe any of them because people aren't working. I, I can I can look around. It's not like the, the stores in, in Main Street, Denver, are, are all of a sudden saying, so no, no, no jobs available right now. Um, we, we've got everybody that we need. No, if the business is still in business and there's not a for lease sign on the building, that's a, it says for hire. They can't find people to work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Kirk, um, I, I, I put everybody the number across the bottom of the screen and I love his approach, his consultations because everybody's got questions especially me so that's what i'm trying to encourage you to do you can't you're not going to be harmed by picking up the phone calling and then because everybody's situation is different of course yeah dr craig dr kirk um uh uh dr craig <laughs> did i call you dr craig sure data came out what what are you seeing right now with the um the morning bell the open of the stock market coming up yeah, well, um, so I'll cover that real quick. And then what I'd like to do is just put this in the light of what Dr. Kirk's saying in terms of the price and the charts. We'll take a look at some long-term charts here real quick on a couple of these things we've talked about today. But the, um, the yesterday we saw Bostic, he's one of the Fed members, come out about midday, right? That was one of our big talking points of the week. We have two Fed speakers in the U.S. And then we have the uh, Bank of England, uh, Governor Bailey, who's expected to speak. We were looking to those to see what kind of talk they put out this week, right? And so yesterday, Boston came out. We had just a massive recovery rally yesterday in the stock market, um, you know, four or 500 points in the Dow, which is just, and it was straight up, you know. So it's getting very concerning to me because we're seeing, you know, as we approach the end of the year, we have this massive run up in the stock market, the, the strongest I've ever seen in terms of that interval of time. 
you know, so I've seen bigger moves in my, you know, 30 years of doing this, but you know, that was the strongest move I've seen in such a short period of time. And so now we're seeing the same thing yesterday, the same kind of activity where we see this massive run up. So that's what we're watching in the stocks, right? If we take a look, I want to take a quick look over here at gold. And this is gold from 1980. You can see here we have 1980 um, right there. We have 2001, so right around, you know, the 9-11. And then here's 2011 when it hit a major peak back in here. And you can see we're trading against this trend channel, right, that we've established. And so this is concerning, right? This gold's on the, on the verge of breaking out on the upside. It doesn't mean it can't come back down in here and retest this, this channel. But at this point right now, you know, this is the big concern up in here. You know, is the um, you know this this four times we're touching the upper this upper channel. So that's one big concern in gold. Gold looks like if, of all the markets, it's it's the one that's most ready to run. If we take a quick look at silver here, here's silver. This is the big run up in the 1980s when the Hunt brothers tried to corner it. Right, we get a bottoming back here in 1992, a big long base that occurs. 2011, again, that same kind of spike we just saw that, that created the upper end of that channel in gold. We see the same thing here in silver. And now we're basically trading right in the center of this big long-term range, this you know 40-year range, 50-year range that we're looking at here. So this is the big thing. We're looking at this little wedge to see which way does silver go. You know, obviously, you know, if the metals start to go, this that's what we're looking at. And then let's take one quick look here at the dollar because the dollar is what makes a lot of this stuff tick, right? Dollar goes up, commodities tend to go down dollar goes down commodities tend to go up so if we look back around 2000 here in the dollar right this is looking back into night this so this is 1985 right back in here this is 2000 up in here so we get this 2000 then we get to 2008 we create this low down in here and now we've got this wedge building and the dollar is actually on the upside of this wedge we're going to look very closely here at this level um this time frame right in here is what I'm looking at. So this, you know, mid 2024 to late 2024 is the point where we could really see this dollar establish itself. As long as it stays above this this area, you know, um, what we call a converging triangle, this area right in here, as long as it stays above this, the dollar's bullish, right? But that's at 95. So you can see I said 98, 99.80 is our first level of the dollar. If it breaks that, we've got some problems. If we break this 95, the dollar's in big trouble. So those are the big things I'm looking at in terms of perspective, you know, in, in, in light of what Dr. Kirk said. So you can, you know, get a picture in your head of what this looks like and, and what an allocation looks like for you. Dr. Kirk, um, great, great segment. Awesome segment. Uh, things are going to get uh, hot and heavy, I, I think, here in the coming uh, weeks for many different reasons that we've already uh, discuss so that's why there's a focus in this direction and there's a direct direct correlation between all the stupid stuff we're seeing in the news that keeps us distracted and and what's happening with our wealth being offshored um but uh thank you very much dr kirk for for joining us thank you everyone make sure you, you dial that telephone number uh contact dr kirk for a consultation and um craig we will be doing a segment tomorrow full segment first thing is that correct yeah okay excellent yeah. guys thank you very very much very much deb jordan deb jordan is not has not done a oh i'm sorry to catch you off guard sorry about that I'm all sure. right
Uh, all right, so this is what we're going to do for the remaining balance of the show. Uh, last night, Deb Jordan, you heard uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits. I did, yes. Um, yes, yes. Hold on one second. got to turn you on. Sorry about that. Are you okay? Um, a lot of, lot of switching and, and recombobulation going on here. Um, so so last, last night, good morning. Hi, how are you? Good, okay. Last night, what Dr. Judy Mikovits dropped multiple, multiple bombs, okay? And that yeah. led me to a discovery that we're going to talk about after we take a break here. And that is, I'm starting to understand, uh, and uh, Craig is in the, he's in the green room right now. Did I send you the link on Taiwan's bioweapons lab, Craig? Um, yeah. I did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know that the U.S. was encouraging uh, Taiwan. Now, if you remember, we just got done with Ukraine, right? right. Russia's going in there dismantling their bioweapons program. Then they ask Victoria Nuland, are there bioweapons labs there? And she's like, well, we're just doing it for preventative. <laughs> right? right? Do you trust them at all? Level, You know what a level four lab is? I, I, it's, it sounds ominous, though. A level four <laughs> lab is to contain um, pathogens and viruses that there okay. is not a cure for. Okay? Right. Level four, meaning mm -hmm. if that thing gets out, everybody dies. So they have, to, they have to contain it and process it. So the United States encouraged, quote, unquote, Taiwan, and in the same fashion uh, uh, that they encouraged Ukraine, I'm sure they set up a treaty in 2006 saying, oh, it's yours, but the U.S. military is going to oversee the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. There we are at the front doorstep with a bioweapons lab. No wonder why China wants to go in there and is brazenly telling Biden, we're going in there and we're going to dismantle that stupid uh, uh, weapons lab. So they they have a, it's called a, a P4 you know, in Taiwan. Now, right. that's above and beyond what Dr. Judy Mikovits described. She actually, let me let me just tell you before we go to our break here, okay? Let me, let me tell you how significant this was. And I'm gonna I'm gonna play that when when um, I'm gonna get to her interview uh, and play that for the majority of the next hour, okay? But let me tell you some of the stuff that she said. She gave instructions to all university students mm -hmm. to stay out of the labs. Right. She said, stay out of the labs. She said, you'll never see Fauci in one of those university labs. He'll be in a fake laboratory with a white lab coat, but he doesn't notice how, isn't that true? You don't see true. Hillary yeah. Clinton, who's pictured with all those NIH representatives. You don't see her in a lab. By the way, she's a walking virus. <laughs> yeah, anyways. Um, <clears throat> a walking lab leak. A walking lab leak. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, but she yeah. said, get out. The message she put out was get out of the university labs. And she's a top molecular biologist. She knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it's very, very um, strategic. They want to kill all the most you know, uh, uh, valuable and smartest of God's creations. And she's also telling the public, 
stay away from a grocery store with a pharmacy in it. I'm like, why? Because of the shedding of the vaccines that they're stockpiling in these pharmacies. And and they have the clinics that where they're, you know, actively giving people the vaccines right there. Yeah. And, and there's and a bunch of shedding, shedding going yeah. on there, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that was huge. And the positive side of it is that she described in that bombshell interview, and it was supposed to be less than an hour, and it went for two hours. It did. She did not stop. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time that she had put so much stuff into one interview. Mm-hmm. She has all of the quote-unquote evidence, all right? Uh, she was jailed by Fauci because she refused to, to release her, her writings. Right. Uh, there were disks that were given to the FBI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was extortion uh, in order to get her out. He had to provide uh, the government with what they wanted. And we're not even going to say U.S. government, just the, the people that have been hijacking our government. But he gave, right before he died, a deathbed confession that he had everything. Her husband. That's right. Her husband. Yeah. Had all the documentation right before right. he died. Right. He gave it to her. There was a little note in one of the boxes. Mm-hmm. So she has all of the evidence of everything that she's alleged. And she alleged that she worked in and, in fact, did work in the Fort Detrick uh, Army Bioweapons Lab. She basically blew out the thought of a Wuhan lab leak. She goes, it wasn't a leak. We delivered it to them, right? Right. It was intentionally released, she said. That's what she says. And she was adamant about it, okay? Mm-hmm. These people are evil. Uh, they're going to just continue to escalate. She knows their methodology. Uh, she knows their research and AIDS, right? Mm-hmm. Was actually a way to figure out how to propagate AIDS, okay, yes. the HIV virus. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. They said, oh, there should be no problem with injecting these people with the uh, AIDS virus. And they knew what they were doing because she had done the research as to what impact it would have on human beings, right? And they intentionally injected people that they said, for instance, Fauci said, oh, women are, pregnant women aren't going to be impacted by this. Let's inject. And a portion uh, of the ingredients on what they were injecting uh, them with was the HIV virus. Um, it's she, a very passionate interview, I have to say. Yeah. So let's go to a break here. A few minutes. Wow. Let's go, Brandon. Oh, there's Lincoln. All right, you guys. What is that? Jumping down the coast. In order to form a more. I gotta fix that so everybody's 
Excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months. I'm excited to announce that we're having our biggest Christmas sale ever. You get our brand new six-piece My Towels for only $29.98. Or rejuvenate your bed with a My Pillow mattress topper as low as $99.99. With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials. The exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. Unlike other products, the Bella Grace Elixir controls the gene switches which activate collagen creation and disables the enzymes that break down the matrix. Bella Grace Elixir contains Verisol, the world's best and most clinically studied form of collagen. These elite collagen peptides influence the skin's collagen metabolism directly from the inside. Nature's most powerful antioxidant. 6,000 times more potent than vitamin C, Astereal Astaxanthin prevents the activation of gene switches that drive inflammation and activates the gene switch responsible for cellular repair and longevity, forming bridges across cell membranes, protecting them from free radical attack. Amazonian cat's claw suppresses the enzymes that degrade collagen and our skin matrix caused by oxidants and inflammation. It simply turns the switch off. The world's most studied collagen, plus activating the genes that make collagen, plus switching off the genes that break down collagen, has resulted in something the world has never experienced. The Bella Grace Elixir. Start your 30-day Bella Grace Challenge today. With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials, the exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. 
banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world. But in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks. And the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence, and this family-owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever going to have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25 percent off and i'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products that's mystore.com it's my new platform for usa entrepreneurs please order now like what we do 
do we do good work? Um, by the way, uh, when when you uh, Deb, when you said, "Oh, the data is wrong on the whatever and, uh -huh. on which platform," which uh, yeah, I'm so agitated right That's now. That's okay. okay. It, it, it's on Rumble. People were confused. They didn't know whether it was live or. And and I'll go in and change it here yeah, in just a second. I, I don't. Uh, sorry, if you guys keep me pedaling away it, on the poverty rat wheel, we have zero staff. That's what you get. The wrong date. There you go. My typo. Right. Mm. Um, that you get exactly what you pay for. There you go. Can you believe it's the ninth already, though? Huh? Can you believe it's the ninth it's already? It's the ninth. It says the ninth on there. I'm looking right at it, by the way. On your title? Yeah. Uh, Pete Santilli Show 3893-1924. What, 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 is it saying something different somewhere else? Mine is saying, unless you just fixed it or something, it's saying yeah, I don't, three, I don't know what. 3891 Zero yeah. one point. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're on right now. I don't know what you're looking at. You're looking at I'm maybe on a different, different episode. Right now, I'm looking at level four. What's the title? Level four U.S. government bioweapons lab in Taiwan. I Pete see 3893 1924. Mm -hmm. Pete Santilli's show number 3891. Okay, I'm going to shut the show down and fix it. I'll be right back. <laughs> I mean, what do I do? I'm looking at one thing, you're looking at another. You want me to come over and see? Here, hold on a second. I'll be right there. Yeah, come see. Okay, we'll just shut the show down. My goodness. What am I doing? I don't know. What is that? I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, mine doesn't look that way. <clears throat> Mine. Oh, I see. Thank what? you. Thank what? you. Nathan fixed it. Ah! I just have to refresh. Okay. Thank you, Nathan, for listening. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. People so were much. just confused when they came in, mm -hmm. and that's all. That's why it looks different from you. So refresh, if everyone. If you guys want to be less confused, please consider <laughs> supporting us with Rumble Rants yeah. by subscribing to us on our Locals channel. Um I wish I could say what I said after the show yesterday, but I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. Hmm? Yeah. Well, I want to ask everybody to please uh, send your prayers to Angie. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you all love her. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into details, but she needs your prayer. Just know that I wouldn't ask if it wasn't important. So please pray for Angie this morning. And for Karen, Karen's uh, missing in action too. She's- uh, Amen, Chester, whatever it is. Hey, you know what? Amen, uh, uh, Amen, Chester, okay, is screaming at me in the locals chat. Yeah? Why don't you post the date so we know if it's live or not? Sorry to disturb <laughs> your freaking consumption pleasure. What? What? <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, man. I'll go fix that on Locals, too. Here, everybody, you know what we're going to do? Huh? You know what we're going to do? This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, I'll there's many more people who are enjoying themselves this morning than not, so. You know what? I'm going to go enjoy myself. Hmm? We have a new breed coming. Oh, really? Yeah, Generation Alpha. 
I'm just going to play this just because. Uh huh. Young Gen Z teachers are talking about the poor behavior of Gen Alpha students, and some of y'all are finally starting to believe us when it comes to how much we miss the mark on raising these kids right. I mean, because I have grown in my hair and I'm 36 years old, people tend to tune me out as soon as I open my mouth when I start talking about these issues we're seeing in the classroom with our kids these days. So before I go on, why don't we review some of the evidence from some of the other creators on this app who might be a little bit more of a relatable age. This is my folder of crying teachers, and they are confused and frightened by the behavior of Gen Alpha. They're saying Gen Alpha is defiant, aggressive, disrespectful, and rude. Having to teach and work with you guys as children has been the most traumatic experience of my life. They don't respect any authority. You ask them, can you stand in your designated spot? They're telling you no and shut up. They're throwing things at each other. They're throwing things at other people, other classmates. You say, can everybody sit in their spot? I don't want to. I'm not doing that. You don't get to tell me what to do. You're not my mom. Like, I'm not even trying to be funny, but these kids are... I'm going to just say this. I teach seventh grade, they are still performing on the fourth grade level. I'm a middle school teacher. I'm also 22 years old. And I will tell you, by far, we are doomed. Like, these kids do not care. Like, I have kids. All they want to do all day long is the eye. Like, I need to ask millennials, um, why are your kids so awful? And more importantly, why do you think it's so funny? Your kids cannot read. They cannot write. They are ill-mannered. I've been trying to sell the alarm about Gen Alpha students and their poor behavior in the classrooms, as well as their literacy problems since May of last year, but because of my age and how I look, every time I make a video about these topics, I'll get people that have never worked with kids or never spent a day in the classroom as an educator giving me lines like... A viral video making the rounds has utilized Google Earth's history tool to show what appears to be mass graves on Epstein's island that were dug shortly after his arrest in 2006. In September of 2002, in the center of the island, Google Earth shows that there was nothing but a bare mound of Earth. In March of 2005, the Palm Beach, Florida police began investigating Epstein after a mother reported that he sexually abused her 14-year-old daughter. In July of 2006, Epstein was arrested by the Palm Beach Police Department on state felony charges of procuring a minor for prostitution. Hours later, he was released on a $3,000 bond. A few months later, in November of 2006, Google Earth shows that the previously bare mound has what appears to be mass graves freshly buried on top of it. During this time, Palm Beach County State Attorney Barry Christcher is accused of giving Epstein special treatment and the FBI begin an investigation. In 2007, federal prosecutors prepare an indictment against Epstein, which is held up in the courts for a year. In June of 2008, Epstein pleads guilty to one count of soliciting prostitution and one count of soliciting prostitution from a minor. He is sentenced to 18 months in jail with a secret arrangement with the U.S. Attorney's Office to not be prosecuted for federal crimes. 
Epstein serves most of his sentence in a work release program that allows him to leave jail during the day. In July of 2009, Epstein is released from jail. One month later in August, Google Earth shows that what appeared to be mass graves on the mound have been covered over. In 2013, construction begins on the mound gravesite. By 2017, construction of what appears to be a tennis court is completed. Drone footage shows that the elevation in Google Earth is off. The newly built tennis court is on a flat plain surrounded by a dirt berm. By January of 2018, Google Earth shows that the tennis court has been raised and the earth beneath appears to have been excavated. In November of 2018, the Miami Herald begins publishing a series of articles about the Epstein case, which inspires public interest. In July of 2019, Epstein is charged on federal sex trafficking charges. One month later, the FBI raid the island. During this time, Google Earth shows cloud cover obscuring the view of the mound. On August 10th of 2019, Epstein is reported to have committed suicide in his New York City federal jail cell. The next available image is a month later in September of 2019 and shows that the area on the mound is being used as a parking lot for commercial vehicles. The area is cleared by 2020 and has remained so until today. In a recent video, corporate media propagandist Megyn Kelly claims that we may be hearing from Jeffrey Epstein himself this year. We're not done with Jeffrey Epstein. I can tell you that for a fact. can't tell you how I know, but I can tell you for a fact, we're going to hear a lot more about Jeffrey Epstein in the coming year. Uh, and you may be even hearing from him directly. More on that as I'm allowed to tell you. While most believe that Epstein was murdered, many believe that he is still alive, claiming that images of his alleged corpse appear to be a different person, that the shape of his nose and ears were different. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Okay, Deb. Hmm. Fascinating. So did uh, the lady that was yelling at me and the, is she, is she okay? Wasn't yelling. No, huh? Wasn't yelling at all. She was. She was telling me that I disturbed her consumption pleasure. Where? On? Uh, in one of our chat rooms that I was looking at. Oh, well, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. We got it. I didn't away. see that anybody do that at all. They were just confused a little bit about, you know, was this yesterday or today? We got a strain now. There you yeah, go. We got it all. So what do you think away. about that? First of all, I saw that the, the whole Epstein thing is out of control. Can we come back to Epstein a little bit? Cause, uh, can we? Yeah. Do you mind? No. Um, because I want to cover our, our top news headline. Hmm? Okay. Yeah, I do. Um, so upsetting to me and we're going to go to dr judy mikovitz mm -hmm. all right but first i want uh how do i say this how do i say it screaming at a bunch of people that they're going to come and kill that refuse to defend themselves is just seems like a a pill battle, we'll call it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Remember what I told you one time? I just felt like I almost shut the show down and just went to church. Remember what I told you one time we were talking about, uh, we were going through something, I don't know, a story or people were coming after us or something. I don't know. It was quite a trying time. And I told you it was like going up, it's like going up a muddy hill, you know, in boots that are, you know, that are like, well, you're sinking up to your kneecaps, right? <laughs> you just can't move. If you've ever done that before, right? Tried to go uphill, a muddy hill, it is, I mean, it's just, it's the most horrible thing ever, right? And sometimes that's what, sometimes that's what life gets like, you know? It's an uphill battle, it is. It is. You're right. Um, so uh, what I'm going to share with you is something that changed my perspective on what's going on in Taiwan. Like, why would Xi come to San Francisco and tell Joe Biden, I'm going after Taiwan? I mm -hmm. just want you to know that. Why would he do that? Yeah. Why would he? Especially after the welcome he got. I mean, mm. with the Chinese flags and you know, they shut down, they cleaned up San Francisco just for him, right? Yeah. Got rid of all the homeless, cleaned up all the feces on the street. Then I was looking at, this is what I discovered, all right? And another thing, and I, I'm still suffering through this. Uh, I told Nathan last night, I said, I'm going to go do some things, but first I need to go throw up. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Because I studied uh, James Holmes. Okay, the neuroscientist that he and his dad who worked for FICO, all right, and if you don't know who he is, hold on, James Holmes mm -hmm. Sr. worked on screen flicker technology. Right. They're neuroscientists. And then come to find out James Holmes considered launching a bioweapon to Thank kill you, a whole Cal. bunch of people. Thank you, Cal. Right. Cal. Uh, so, congratulations on one twenty twenty four twenty dollar Rumble rant. We certainly appreciate thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I love it, Pete. I find it so interesting. Even though I don't, I don't have any money to invest in what find it interesting i don't know what oh thank you but thank you uh i don't know what you're referring to it i don't know what it means up oh, 50 dollars from bill tenna support pete and deb to the best of your ability it's all equal in the eyes of pete <laughs> thank you thank you so much bill tennis thank you I'm I'm struggling. It's okay. Letting less with the um, stuff, okay. More so with. Thank you, Cal. You know what I think we should do? What? How to comb dog poop out of your 
dog's tail when he has Alzheimer's and he's <laughs> and his tail doesn't work anymore. Uh, yeah, we should do tutorials. He's old. Videos. His tail is paralyzed, so we have mm -hmm. to. Yeah, I love him. And he's got arthritis so bad it hurts right. him when we pick him up. And put watch, him in the watch, tub. Uh, yep. Ongoing. Yeah, that's Cooper. Yeah. All right. Uh, watch this for a second, and it'll be a good uh, lead off. I've discovered this through my conversation with Dr. Judy Mikovits, which you're uh -huh. going to hear in just a little bit here. Uh -huh. Here we go. The Defense Ministry denies an allegation that the U.S. asked Taiwan to develop bioweapons. According to a recent report, Taiwan built a high-security P-4 laboratory at Washington's request for the purpose of developing biological weapons. The report also claims that former Premier Su Zintang presided over two secret meetings concerning the project. But Su adamantly denies the claim, saying he was too busy tackling the pandemic to hold secret meetings. Last year, before Dragon Boat Festival, President Tsai Ing-wen inspected Taiwan's only P4 laboratory at the National Defense Medical Center. Now, a report has emerged claiming that the U.S. asked the center to build a P4 lab in order to research and develop biological weapons. The report states that then-Premier Su Zhenchang spearheaded two secret meetings on the matter, codenamed Nanhai Working Meeting. Su rejected the accusation. He said he had been busy with his duties as Premier and his COVID-related work. He said he did not hold any secret meetings, dismissing the report as disinformation. In a rare move, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs lambasted certain media outlets accusing them of misreporting reality to create sensationalistic articles that undermine the government's diplomatic efforts. The defense ministry also denounced the bioweapon claims. The claim that the U.S. is pressuring Taiwan to develop biological weapons is untrue. Laboratories are classified based on their biocontainment precautions, ranging from biosafety level 1 to level 4, or P1 to P4. P1 and P2 labs conduct research unrelated to health and diseases and on microbes that cause mild disease, respectively. P3 labs handle serious and potentially lethal diseases, for example, COVID-19. The highest security P4 labs target severe diseases for which there are no vaccines or treatments, such as SARS, which caused an outbreak in 2003. We are currently making plans to establish a new P4 laboratory after its completion it will become a leading facility in the Asia-Pacific region for combating emerging and recurring infectious diseases. Back in 2021, the military had made a statement on the purpose of the P4 lab. Now that attention is back on the lab, it's once again repeating its words. The Defense Ministry denies an allegation that the U.S. asked Taiwan to develop bioweapons, according to a recent... Deb. Yes. All right. When you factor in... Uh, Victoria Newland responded to the 15 bioweapons labs that were listed on the State Department. And then when Russia went in and uh -huh. dismantled them, they were out back burning papers. Right. That's right. Uh, Victoria Newland said, oh, it's just we're just doing it to study, you know, for uh, defensive purposes. OK. And um, uh, then, of course, Barack Obama set up the level four Luger bioweapons uh -huh. facility uh -huh. uh, in Tbilisi, right? Right. Um, 
Barack Obama and all of these, it, uh, this pedophile network of people that have hijacked our government um, are, are basically going around what the government knew was too dangerous in Fort Detrick. There was a scientist who did certain studies. Right. And they were so dangerous. And she was in Fort Detrick. She knew what was being worked on. And her work actually produced that in the wrong hands, produced information, okay, uh, that in the wrong hands would kill people offensively. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is, you know, I'm just going to kind of put this, make this go away. Right. And Fauci said, you give me that paperwork. And right. she said, no. Right. He said, are you telling me you're not going to give me your research work? And she said, absolutely not. I'm not going to give it to you. And he kidnapped her and jailed her. These are facts. Yes. She's one of the top molecular biologists that would not release that information because it was too dangerous. It's immoral. You're not going to be doing any testing in this regard. They seized all of her stuff. They held her and told her husband, you know, there was other uh, paperwork, I guess, um, but extorted, said, you will not get your wife back unless you convince her to tell us where all of her writings are. Um, and he just so happened to have recorded everything uh, and documented everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and in his deathbed confession, why was he in a deathbed confession to begin with? Oh, because they killed everybody around her. Okay. Including up to and including her husband. She gets into some complex stuff, but what I am going to do is I'm going to fast forward you know, to where she really starts heading. I mean, it's, it's so overwhelming. You guys have to go back. You have to re-listen to what she's saying. Um, because she's not just speaking to you. Okay? You need to listen to her as to the language she speaks. And she's talking to them. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And what she did in this episode right here that you're about to hear. Um... Basically, it was a shot across their bow. I, you know what? Do uh, let me let me just check something. If you guys like what we do, will you consider uh, letting me beg you to push that rumble button? You know, because we want this information to go out. Give don't us worry. a thumbs up. Yep. Give us a thumbs up if you like this information. This is so intriguing. Yep. Really. Yep. Here we go. Very passionate interview. Mm -hmm. Get ready. I say, wow, because um, Dr. Judy Mikovits, uh, she's, uh, we're so honored uh, that she's been on the show with me. She's helped me in so many ways uh, get properly educated. Um, her research materials, her reputation is unimpeachable as far as I'm concerned. Um, 
and her expertise in the topics that we're going to discuss today. Some of which somebody could say, oh, that's a, we don't talk conspiracy theories. I mean, she's a, she's a scientist. She's had the inside perspective working for Anthony being fired by and incarcerated. No, no by, by, I never worked for Anthony Fauci. By, well, I'm, I was just going to say, fi uh, uh, fired by, uh, incarcerated by right. Anthony Fauci. Incarcerated by Anthony Fauci. So for what reason? We're going to talk about that. But um, uh, Dr. Judy, first of all, welcome back. Um, I want to give a lot of everyone knows you, loves you, but for somebody that's has been on planet earth recently and they don't know who dr judy is in there tune into the show um i'm gonna start out with your introduction by saying as follows tell everybody um how you came to um uh, the business of working for in a government facility of course for dietrich and working on uh, gain of function testing that uh, uh, that we we hear that term. So it wasn't gain of function testing. It was laboratory work, but you were aware of the gain of function testing that was dangerous in Dietrich, and ultimately that operation was shut down. Did you have exposure to that? Tell everybody what you know what, what, your background and and how you came into contact with this information way back then. Well, unfortunately, it's in all four of our books. So if you give me screen share opportunity, yeah. um, I'll flip through a PowerPoint that I first did in May of 2022. Do you see Crimes Against Humanity? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me just hit that. I remember so that, that you only when, see when you were out on uh, that particular tour. That's great. I'm glad you put that up. Correct. And that particular tour was supposed to be going after Fauci with Reiner Fulmish, Patrick Wood, me. Well, there was a bad guy in there called Richard Fleming who was bought and paid for and, and actually putting up fraudulent data going after me, going after me in particular and others. So at any rate, this and, and this, by the way, you're, you're aware of Reiner, what happened to Reiner Fulmick, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. Reiner Fulmick, what a, an amazing man. And they kidnapped him in Mexico. Can you imagine? Well, I, the next day I went to get my passport and my lawful passport is Judy Noldy. And I guarantee you, I was shaking in my shoes when I when, when I went in there because, uh, you know, this this is not for the faint of heart. I it, guarantee it you. certainly is. Now, if you could just so tell so tell everybody uh, you came into this. Your, your oh, so, so this it, it all is it all is right here. Mm -hmm. Our first book, Plague. Yes is my legal defense. Ken Heck and Lively is my lawyer, J.D. Um, when I was kidnapped and held in jail five days in, in um, from November uh, 18, 2011 for what, for what until November 22, 2011, I was kidnapped there until my husband ransomed me out. For but what that reason? tells you my entire scientific career. I answered an ad in the Washington Post um, right after May 18, 1980, when I graduated from the University of Virginia, and they were looking for a protein chemists to do fermentation chemistry that is to ferment and grow um, viruses 
and um, you know, and and antibiotics. I, I did a lot of natural products, fermentations um, for medicine to use botanicals as medicine. That was my training. We, there wasn't even a biochemistry degree at the University of Virginia when I studied there from 
and what happened uh, after your release, that was negotiated. That was, uh, from what I'm now understanding very clearly, there was blackmail that took place. We're going to talk about that. That's extortion. Uh, extortion, exactly, right. Um, leverage over you. But what was the primary reason that they justified arrest, kidnapping and, and arresting you and holding you? I was a felony fugitive from Fauci. I refused to give up the data. When our October 23rd, 2009 science paper came out, and this is the key, this is why this talk was titled The Fraudul Criminally Fraudulent Scientific Journals. And this is why last week was important, the last few weeks in the news with Harvard professor Gay. Oh, okay. Well, Tufts and Columbia and Harvard professors and Yale professors were at the heart of the corruption. They reviewed my, my 2009 science paper. They published an article in the beginning of that, uh, in the, in the 20, October 23rd of, of science. The, the scientist is John Coffin. And John Coffin was the principal in view reviewer of the paper and in pandemic indoctrination you know that he said if they reviewed that paper the comedian he said if they reviewed the paper all bets are off in 2021 when frank rossetti and we were finishing the book ending plague and i in 2021 there was a movie being made a documentary about plague of corruption and in that movie john coffin admitted laughing, of course I reviewed the paper, laughing as they spun the literature, knowing full well their biosafety level two unintended release of a biosafety level two virus. Why is a cancer-causing virus, murine leukemia virus. Why is a virus that spreads like mycoplasma? I mean in an uninfected flask with a 0.2 nanometer filter on it. Means 200, you know, a virus is 100 nanometer. There was no mask, 5% CO2. In those incubators, if I put two flasks on top of each other, that virus transmitted in two days to the uninfected culture. They'd done it. They had by 2011 proof that they could spread these viruses through the laboratory without anybody knowing it and then inject them in every shot. But they have to be injected. My PhD work was on latency. They stay silent and they and they do not transmit. That's the brilliant David Martin's work. They are bioweapons. SARS-CoV-2 is not a coronavirus. It's a retrovirus. And they took the literature while I was held silent from 11 to 14. I was a felony fugitive from foul I refuse to bow down, be bribed, be extorted, kill me. They took everything. They took my house. They took our money. It's right there in 2014 on the Sunday after Thanksgiving in the Ventura County Star. Why is my pen pointing to COVID? COVID sensitia, cancer, not, not a common cold, yeah, and, cancer. And I want to I, I point this. Okay. 
This is significant, oh. this article right that is here. It. That's your picture, and what is this right here? This is your hand, your pen, and what are you pointing to right here? That's, that's a, a multinucleated giant cell, or syncytia. Dr. Um, Peter Duisberg called it aneuploidy. That's aneuploidy. They simply changed the word. And see, my name wasn't Mikevitz. They had my cover, my picture, mine alone, on the cover of the Sunday after Thanksgiving Ventura County Star. And they tell you, and John Coffin is named here, and so is Vincent Racchianello, and so is one of the patients, Robin Moulton. We knew they poisoned their families. They killed her father. They killed my mother with eloquence. And that's what they're doing right now. Oh, giving everybody a fake cancer diagnosis and killing them. So there's the cover of the green cover of the 2014 book. Why was it changed? Why was the cover changed to a nothing bunch of droplets that don't look like anything at all? Oh, because they wanted to try and make sure all of that went away. And when they arrested me and when they fired me, so the Whittemores fired me September 29th, 2011. That was a week after I gave the talk in Ottawa, Canada, where the journal science, John Coffin, um, Tony Komaroff of Harvard, Ian Lipkin, where and John Coffin, all of them, they literally created this narrative and thought if they so they that they, they could lock down my lab they fired me standing on the street mrs whittemore did annette whittemore fired me because she was using grant funds to fund oh pcr tests and other testing to show people they had xmrv and which cytokine storm was associated with covid how did i know how do i know the cytokine storm of Ebola. Oh, the 2014 Ebola that killed 21,000 Liberians to cover up William Thompson's confession at the CDC. Oh, yeah. Wow. Why is that in the paper? That was 2014. November 23rd, 2014. There it is, folks. November 23rd, 2014. And the, uh, what is this, Ventura Star? Is that right? Ventura County Star. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And, and they're telling you exactly what to think about our work. Oh, because the book came out, and that was my legal defense. Thank you, Kent. She taped every word of it. I handed that to the DOJ, to the FBI, to the Ninth Circuit Court, to Troy Flake, yeah, was the assistant attorney general in Reno, Nevada. I handed that to him, a hard drive, in May of 2014, when Frank Rossetti was forced out of the National Cancer Institute. And he, that's the last chapter of Plague of Corruption. That's why Bobby's brilliant forward in Plague of Corruption, because he said to me, I, in October of 2019, I was nervous because the book should have been out a long time ago in the summer. I saw the day that they stole it off the internet when I emailed it to my dear friend Joe Oppenheim who's a scientist they're all pictured in these books and they killed them all 
They killed the lab workers. My office made of 15 years had five different types of cancer and died before she was 60. My postdoctoral mentor, David Dursey, who did molecular cloning of these things. I made the first infectious molecular clone of HTLV-1. Why 12 years after it was manufactured from a guy with cancer named Charles Robinson? Why? Oh, because it kept popping out of the vector, meaning we couldn't make an infectious molecular clone. Well, the infectious molecular clone of XMRVs, Derisi and Silverman, UCSF, oh, and a little, a little grant funding from Abbott Labs. Oh, now they're AbV. Oh, and a little Pfizer problem with Upjohn and me when they were making their GMO poison growth hormones in cows. And we all know why everybody's fat, and it's not our behavior. It's the molecular, it's a genetically modified food and, and, and poisons. And they injected our animals with all of these things too. So it is and always was infection by injection. So the good news for your listening audience is stop. If the FDA says it, do the opposite. Mm. APL is not FDA approved. It does not meet the 2004 FDA Botanical Drug Guidance Act. See, I made these drugs and I know. And that's why that picture is 2006. Why is that picture 2006? Because we were showing the natural products, how to cure disease, how ivermectin works, how serumin works, a reverse transcriptase inhibitor. The first publication was 1960. That's why I show you Magic Johnson. Why didn't Magic Johnson test positive? That means antibody positive. That means he's immune. They're flipping around these tests. This is this is so criminal. And 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 the band played on. And it, I mean, it's just silence equals death. This is the the grace and the gift of God and Mickey Willis and everybody else who stepped up there like you and your team in 2012 and never gave up listening to me as I try to explain this. You couldn't possibly explain this because it's the lie that's so big. The truth about cancer, 2019, October. 12. Look at my talk. It's detailed in the first chapter of the second half of Ending Plague. And what was in my talk? Oh, look at this. Here's John Coffin. He put an accompanying article in the Science Journal, the same journal our paper came out. A new virus for old diseases and then talked about chronic inflammation. And, and on the left-hand side, the July 22nd, 2009, we submitted our science paper May 4th, May 6th, one of those, yeah, whatever it was. If you don't mind me asking, that's, uh, 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 that's Ty Bollinger, right? Uh, Correct. Ty and Charlene. And, and what did Charlene. they do? They silenced them because Dr. Daniel Newsom and the company's organics with two X's. They were making supplements and, and, and food and showing you through all their work how to use food as medicine. They were doing what we were doing with all their brilliance. And, and, and again, the government went after them and created a rip. So, yes, in, in Anaheim, California, Bobby Kennedy was at the meeting, and so was Del Bigtree at the Truth About Cancer, October 12th of 2019. 
and I showed you every bit of this. Oh, a new disease. This is XMRV2. This is Omicron. This was announced by Gary Owens, a cardiologist at the University of Virginia, November 10th. 2009 functional forgeries plagiarism look at the look at the um the kids with autism this was a this was september 7 2010 look at the families of the xmrvs and mom with lymphoma and then chronic fatigue syndrome look at itp look at mantle cell lymphoma look at myelodysplasia Look at thymoma. They told us the only XMRV was the infectious clone called VP62, which was a Frankenstein clone. It was made from biopsies from three different men, and it's in all our book. Go look at Joe DeRisi's TED Talk. Joe DeRisi at UCSF. Remember, this all started in California when Tony Fauci said women except for prostitutes who actually are women couldn't get hiv aids look at ending plague in the institute of medicine the institute of medicine which used to be called the national academy of sciences which john coffin is a member which means this is an ethical violation all of this is an ethical violation to the point of you it makes what professor gay did look like child's play yeah look at her who and why that was the first slide or maybe the second of my talk on, on October 12, 2019. Agency heads are scared to death if XMRV works out. What do they mean works out? Means there's a lot of variants and some of them cause autism and some of them cause ALS and Parkinson's disease. And some of them lie indolent until you get hit on the head enough. To, to destroy you, they cause you to, to go into rage and to psychosis. There's no such thing as mass formation psychosis. They injected the disease-causing entity. There's no such thing as chronic Lyme disease. It's HIV, and it always was. It was called neuroaids, but Fauci had a little problem. He said women couldn't be infected unless they're prostitutes. You know, and Franker said he's like, oh, man, they're human. All animals have retroviruses. Fauci told, Coffin told Fauci, I mean, Coffin told Frank Rossetti in 1975, not bothering to look for human disease associated retroviruses because they don't exist. Well, we have an entire immune system of virome that protects us all the way back to snake venom. That's Syncytin is what you're looking at in that picture. Syncytia, S-Y-N-C-Y-T-I-N, fuse cells together so the message of the spike protein can pass from cell to cell, cell associated versus cell free transmission. We did every bit of that in our science paper. How can I have no PCR product here in Patient number 1118, look how much spike, it's envelope, look how much spike protein is cell-free in that human being's blood. They were variants all along. There was 
far more than one strain. And this is the problem. The variant tells you the parasite because your immune system responds. This is so criminal. And look at it. Here's the paper that they let Gary okay. Owens publish. And I'm going to say let Gary can Owens publish. Can I back up just one second here? Sure. Why is California, California Torino, why is California so important uh, in this 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 thing, this criminal conspiracy. Why? Well, California's ground zero. UCSF, Stanford. We know, you know, we know what happened at Stanford. We know how they shut down, you know, um, we, we know how they shut down Stanford. They they caused AIDS. They killed Mickey Willis's brother and his mother with the hepatitis B vaccine. HIV never was LAV. That's why I showed you that. And silence equals death. Well, I might well have a big mouth, but um, my mom taught me silence equals death. She's a Cherokee, or was. This was the LAV isolation. This electron microscope was not HIV. They, I couldn't get the red mark out of there, or I would have fixed that that. Pit picture but i'm trying to show you how the literature the scientific literature is criminally fraud and the gatekeepers on the scientific literature are the, the opinion papers like this this was our paper in that journal it was submitted may 4th 2009 we had the July 22nd invitation only meeting right there look at all the names all of those people knew exactly what was going on and who was named in that newspaper article in Ventura in 14 when I did what they told me to do, talk to nobody but my lawyer or my husband or the next time they would kill me. That's what they told David Noldy. My, my name is Noldy. They, 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 they kidnapped David Mikovits and murdered him in that hospital and murdered him December 1st, 2021, in order to try and put the final nail in my coffin, John Coffin. But it isn't happening because you got an ego and, and we've got the film of him admitting on film. And many, many, many lawyers know it. Many, many lawyers know it. They censored the film. You know, it has to be censored or a whole bunch of doctors are gonna kill themselves. But Bobby knows and Trump knows. And, and that's why they have to be kept off the ballot, because we'll go after every one of them. Every one of them. These are, this is, you know, what are these diseases? So, you know, you know, you're stating here that President Trump knows about everything that you're talking about. He's now been made fully aware. He knew our book in the beginning. He talked a great length to, to Mickey Willis. He's never talked to me, but he knows. President. And so does Bobby. Bobby wrote the beautiful review. Look at the last chapter of Plague of Corruption. Mm -hmm. It says the last chapter in the book on August 29th of 2019. I started writing Plague of Corruption August 29th of 2014. 14. You know why? Because that's when I saw William Thompson confess. That's when I saw a page of his notebook, and I called Genick and Lively. And the page of his notebook from Brian Hooker, and this is Bobby Kennedy and Brian Hooker's latest book, and we've got all the data, California, because that was the gays. That's how they killed the gays the first time. They made them 
get if they were in a um, susceptible group, gay men, IV drug users and prostitutes. So why were athletes injected with these deadly viruses? So we could kill the best and the brightest. And on the first day of life, do you know that same hospital, that protocol killed my husband? That same hospital went two by two with the nurses in the 90s and forced when, when parents didn't give consent for their newborn to get those shots, the, the HBV shot, they forced two by two the nurses. If you didn't shoot them, if you didn't inject them, when their parents didn't give them permission, then, the, then you lose your job. And the nurse told me that, thank God, after our book came out. And, and we've got all the proof. That's the hospital, St. John's in Oxnard, injected without parents' knowledge, a black part of California, Oxnard, injected every single one of them. Well, that says no biopsy, and that okay. says no autopsy. Now, you're saying that they and uh, they, they were deliberate. They were intending to kill the gays. Is that correct? And give and spread AIDS and make it like it's our behavior and make it look like black men and athletes are promiscuous. Look what they just said. Why did you inject athletes? They're not gay men, IV drug users, or prostitutes. So why did they? Magic Johnson was engaged. You got to kill the best and the brightest. They experimented in Dartmouth, those biosafety level two labs. Watch the high wire from last week by unintended release we'll go back to what this was about the wuhan yep. oh they shipped it over there it wasn't unintended they put it in a fedex box because usps is unlawful isn't it you know i'm, I'm just telling you these people planned this and they got caught in 2009 h1n1 Ebola of 14. The book is called Called for Life by Kent and Amber Brantley, Ventura, California, the Christian missionary that stopped Fauci and Obama from killing and the CDC from killing, they already killed 21,000 Liberians. But the Dr. John who headed up that Christian team, and he's right here in Ventura, and he heads up Ventura County Healthcare. He could tell that the Ebola was aerosolized. Who did that work? I did in the 90s. I showed you the cytokine storm of Ebola and published it. It was in my Academy of Nutritional Medicine talk that I gave on April 5th, 2020. I showed all of this. I For more than 12 hours, James Grunvig and I sat there with the Epoch Time scientists. And if you look at the end of Joshua Phillips' film, it was released on April 8th before our paper came out. Why did they hold the publication of Plague of Corruption until April 14th, 2020, when it was in press October?
October 12th of 2019. Well, you had a whole lot of swamp cleaning to do, didn't you? Because we had to take, you know, this whole thing has to go down. The 1986 Act, all liability, all products, and all informed consent. Informed consent, not another needle, not another injected, not another pill. Don't go in a drugstore with a pharmacy and it. See, it's on all Americans right now. I can do no more. I've done everything I possibly can. And I talk, you know, twice a day, every day. I can do no more. All I can do is try to get somebody to understand. I handed Troy Flake in the entire DOJ of Nevada the hard drive on um, March 16th, 2017. We sat in Jason Chabot's office in Congress. The we is Del Bigtree, Bobby Kennedy, Mom, uh, Michelle Ford, Riza Islam, Paximune. Not Paxlovid, that's poison. That's ivermectin with fluoride. Paximune is type 1 interferon from cows. It should have stopped all of this. And the FDA stopped us from giving, keeping our, our animals and our food supply healthy. All of this is and always was genetically modified is not of God. That's why the first slide in this talk was thanks to my pastor, Rob McCoy. Because this is, he handed me when I did, couldn't understand how to put the cookies on the, on the bottom shelf, which is explain it simply, according to Rob. He said, Judy, have you ever seen Darwin's thesis? Yeah, I, said, well, I thought, well, yeah, you know, the origin of the species by means of natural selection. They want you all to think it's natural. They, they naturally evolved. Yeah, over 1,200 years because you put it all in a bat cave and called it the CIA in Reston, Virginia. You know, it says, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Wait a minute, we're made in the image of God. There is no struggled life and there's no favored race. You don't get to kill the black people so you can live. You don't get to stare Where is that written, what you just uh, recited? It's right there. Or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. That's Charles Darwin's original page. It came from Texas, and Rob McCoy gave it to me. And on that day in 2022, I said, of course, of course. And all we had to do was go back again through all the documents. The last chapter of Plague of Corruption, we saved all the samples. We saved every single manufacturing plant. I've got every cell line. I've got the antibodies. And, and, and we shipped those along with the hard drive, along with everything. Two, we gave them to the Ninth Circuit Court in Reno, Nevada. That's the, how, the who and the why. The who and the why was agency heads are scared to death if XMRV works out. Mm. What does it mean works out? Here they are. They're at the NIH Criminal Center in 2011. Oh, right after they jailed me, kidnapped me, held me political J6 style and, and threatened my husband. Find the ransom and deliver it. Never say another thing or you never see her again. 
You know, this is the United States of America, not the United States of Corporation. Agency heads. Who's, who is Suzanne Vernon? Oh, she was she was the lobbyist in a patient committee. She worked 22 years or 21 years for the CDC, and she conveniently left. And Ian Lipkin, oh, Ian Lipkin got $34 million what, what for happened, this study. I need to ask, what happened when you gave this evidence to the Reno, uh, the federal court, I assume? Nothing. Hmm. They covered it up. Troy Flake, April French, Mike Solari of the FBI, April um, French was also in the FBI. Nothing. Hundreds of thousands of pages of documents, just like Senator William Posey, who covered up the 100,000 pages of documents in 2014. And that's why Obama and Fauci had to kill 21,000 Liberians with their little vaccine, that, that, that their little Ebola outbreak came straight out of Fort Detrick. Because I know the cytokine storm, I made the cell line and I published it. And I published it in the 90s. So they had to fire me on September 29th. That's the last day of the fiscal year I'm get, of 20, uh, 2011. And I'm getting, and I'm get, I've got, you know, lots of grants in, in only five years, start to finish from conception, from an idea in my head. I co-founded, built the labs, built the safety level in to isolate these viruses and associate them with the disease. Five years start to finish. Not only had a diagnostic test for any variant in any stage of the disease, here, this is what they did. And, you know, had, had the cures because we know the cause. You can't inject animal mRNA, DNA, and protein. Not since 1986 did they ever clean up a single vaccine. Did they ever obey the law? Did they ever do a placebo-controlled study? This, there's not a warp speed to science. It takes decades to get something approved as a drug. You test everything you, you add to a, to a cocktail. This is a boatload of mouse viruses put into the blue vat of monkey viruses and injected directly into the most...